America's angriest hedge fund. Thank All right, listen, I got one last question for you. How are you fucking us? There's a nice way to say that, Vinny. I'm serious. We'll buy your swaps, but only if you say how you're fucking us. I'm not fucking you, Vinny. I'm kissing. I'm looking deep into your eyes as I make love to you, Vinny. I'm handing you the deal of the century on a fucking platter. What do we get out of it? Easy. I got a 20 million a month negative carry. I got bosses trying to pull the plug because they think I'm out of my fucking mind. All right? We make this trade. Those problems aren't so big anymore. And sure, swaps are a dark market, so I set the price. Whatever price I want. And when you come for the payday, I'm going to rip your eyes out. I'm going to make a fortune. But the good news is, Vinny, you're not going to care because you're going to make so much fucking money. That's what I get out of it. Want to know what you get out of it? You get the ice cream, the hot fudge, the banana, and the nuts. Right now, I get the sprinkles, and yeah, if this goes through, I get the cherry. But you get the Sunday, Vinny. You get the Sunday. Welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that does, I think, what it says on the tin. It's best film ever. My name's Ian. I'm Ethan. And I'm Georgia. Hey, and that's the crew we've got this week. Liam's away at a, uh, he's at a wedding. Oh, I think so. Not his own. No. I hope I get an invite. I was going to say, not just you, come on. Can you imagine? And welcome, 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 welcome. The nuptials of Liam (laughs) and John Travolta. (laughs) <laughs> I think you'd be a really good officiant. I think I'd be a good officiant. I do. I think there's parts where you got to switch gears and you got to be serious. There's also parts where you get to have a little bit of personality in there. But you always yeah. remember, it's not your day, it's their day. So how can you make them look better? I do work, yeah, we work weddings. That's very. That's what, exactly what we have to do. So that's what. That's the goal. So yeah, there we go, Liam. I think the, the pressure's just been put on you, should you ever tie the knot to... Uh, <laughs> To have me as the uh, as the officiante. Although I did enjoy our mutual friend's admission that he much said neutered rather than nurtured whilst talking about children. Yes, we have. Uh, we have really funny. We have. A, we have a mutual friend who is a who is a priest, and oh, he said yeah. the other day that his one of his worst mistakes was that he was doing the like the spiel before, and it's like, and in marriage, children will be nurtured is what it's supposed to be, and he said in marriage, children shall be neutered. Neutered. <laughs> So there is uh, that. How's people's weeks been? Tiring. Tiring? Yeah, weddings Stressful. are tough, man. I- I'm totally not just having you guys talk so I can make sure my <laughs> fantasy lineups are good. But you just checked that while we were waiting for Ethan. Yeah, I just announced that our player was out. So I am uh, trying to just make sure that J.K. Dobbins is on the bench in all three of my leagues. Yeah, he was complaining that you were late, Ethan, whilst trading his All lineups. three. There we are. I'm good. It was good. I didn't need to worry about it. I'd already done my, need to worry about my, it. My, my, yeah. my, my due diligence. All right. So, yeah. So here we are. Uh, episode number 140. Whoa. The, the big short. It's not big a big short. short number, is it? It's 140. A big number. It's a big number that for a podcast a that we thought it? might have a short run. <laughs> I looked at my letterbox the other day because I, I watched uh, Thor Love and Thunders went to put that on there. And I had a list of every single BFE episode we've recorded, like film we've we've charted. And I've, I haven't added any since we did episode 117. So 140s made me realize, wow, we've done a lot. Yeah, well, you know. 
I need to update my flick chart. Maybe the fact that we just say what episode number we're on each time might trigger that response. But yeah. It's a round number. People like 140. is a good number. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I'm not allowed to lean on the road. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed. We haven't, I, I, don't, I don't do the here's where we charted this week thing here anymore. Uh, I've kind of trimmed that because um, it's great. I'm really thankful to wherever we chart. But, um, you know, it was just something we did. I will say, we charted ridiculously high in Australia this week. That's cool. Uh, hey, so, so we can do a singular focus. Thanks a lot to our Aussie Aussie friends. Some, some Aussie mateship happening there. Aussie mateship. <laughs> yeah, I like to think this is Jonathan. Oh, what's his? LaPaglia. Yeah, it's Jonathan LaPaglia. I think it's Jonathan LaPaglia and, and friends. And <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Aussie Survivor. I've been watching. I've been watching a lot of Aussie Survivor lately. And you've been watching a lot of Aussie Survivor lately. So, because you can't get North American Survivor, or like, I guess I mean American Survivor over here. So, it's proven to be a nice next best thing. Yes. For me, anyway. I really enjoy it. I enjoy it. So, they're South African for a while. I I think that's gone now already. But uh, I'm enjoying my run of uh, Australian Survivor. I miss Pirate Mark. (laughs) So, promos, things that you don't want to miss. We did about time last week. Uh, well, yeah. That was George's choice, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed having to watch that, getting yeah. to watch that again, not having to watch. I guess it was both. Uh, <laughs> um, we've recorded the mailbag episode, which I still haven't released as of the time we record this. I do hope I'm going to rec- re- drop it tomorrow. Is what it is. Yep. Mm. And then uh, we continue with our sort of autumn of, of headless. Um, I will say I've watched episodes two and three. Good, aren't they? So there we go. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting kind of where we thought it might be going versus where it is going. And we're looking very much forward to welcoming Dylan Gladhorn in a few weeks yeah. uh, to talk about Ooh. the music behind it. Yeah. And then we're going to hopefully nail down who specifically, yeah. who, 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 we're going to be ta- speaking to from the uh, Shipwreck group to talk about the series as a whole in retrospective down the line. So if you're not watching Shipwrecked, it's on YouTube. Each episode runs really about 12 minutes. About 12 minutes, yeah. The, the first one's like 18, but there's a lot of world building that needs to take yeah. place. Um, yeah, I've been enjoying it. So definitely worth your time. Uh, and hopefully this podcast here is worth your time. And we want to thank the following for uh, showing us by supporting the pod. That would be our, B, our, our friends of the podcast. Yeah. Our friends of the BFE. Friends. Uh, our, our Patreon backers. We're talking about Reverend Bruce, Woo. Julene, Woo. Hermes, Woo. Lena Woo. Oberholzer, Woo. Katie McCray. Woo. Anthony and Davies, Chris Peterson, Randall Silva, Dwayne Smith, the Yeemeister, Nathan Great, Andy Dixon, Holly Callen, Cheesy with a Fish on a Bike, and Richard. It's like owls mixed with a train in there. It felt like I was on my way to Hogwarts with all those sounds around me. Uh, I just have an idea. I've chosen to drop the Defense Against the Dark Arts class because uh, <laughs> that guy's looking at me funny. I have an idea. What's that? You know I'm not allowed to lean on the road. I do know you're not allowed to lean on the road. Could you move it slightly further to you so I have some elbow space? Is if you okay? can lift up your microphone yeah. so it doesn't drain it. Careful, because that, that is a power plug there. That, that cable, yes. Yeah, so I'm very worried about Yes, I think that's the power cable. No, that's my headphones. Oh, okay, that's your headphone cable. Well, either way, just don't pull any cables out of it. That's all I ask. <laughs> we do have the famous, there's two lost episodes we kind of have. One's a completely lost episode. That was me and Ethan. Uh, that was our clear for takeoff on Mad Men. Yeah. I never I never continued Mad Men because of that. The other one is uh, we were halfway through our best movie musicals real roundtable, yeah. and Georgia pulled, pulled the power plug. I didn't pull it. I accidentally stepped on it. And I was, yeah, because it had like a little snap. It had that, a switch next Yeah, it had a switch, it. which is great Stupid. for if you've ever actually had a, uh, if you've ever had, I used it the other day because my TV, the sound went on it, and I Googled it, and it just went, yeah, just, t- just unplug the TV for like 30 seconds. I was like, <laughs> all right. 
And so I was able just to hit like one little switch rather than try and like pull the plug out or get behind and pull the hole. And then what's plugged in the one? I don't know. You know so. those Canon cameras do that? Do what? They like refuse to work. They won't like turn on. They won't do anything. You would bother what you do. You know how you fix it? Take the battery off. Take the lens out. Lo- a lens out overnight. Okay. Put it back in. It works again. Oh, really? That yeah. resets a Canon. Who needs YouTube with their visual descriptions when you've got George's audio tech device <laughs> Q and A specific situation? <laughs> which Canon she didn't say? The, whatever. <laughs> which that one firmware? Is. Point to one which we can't <laughs> reference. Oh, you know what it is? You could fill in the gap. It's a Canon 600D, also known that as a one. Rebel T3i in the United States. Although I believe it's very unfortunate if you want to use that thing. It's very what? It's very unfortunate if you want to use that cannon like right then. Well, to, yeah, to but hopefully, it's, hopefully it's mine... not happening when you've pulled it out to actually like shoot <laughs> at like some sort of thing you've scheduled. It's hopefully just you. Tested it before, it's just you noticing before. And it means you got to delay it for a day, but still. I mean, I'm like the one king. Of those timed things. See the sun rise or set. I showed up once. Yeah, because that famously only does that once a year. I showed up <laughs> for a promo shoot for a musical we were in, and we were all over at Castle Rising. Yes, I remember this. And I fr- <laughs> I forgot to charge the batteries. And so I've got like four batteries, but they're all like no charge. And then like, sure enough, one of the actors has not even bothered to learn his lines. And by learn his lines, I didn't really write him too much of a script. I took the lines he should have already known for the show and just tweaked them ever so slightly. <laughs> and he clearly didn't know them and he, and he was hung over. I was so mad. So I did manage to get the guy playing King Arthur and the guy playing Patsy. They were fine. Yeah, but I kind of had to lean very heavily rather than doing a whole bunch of back and forth shots. I kind of lived in the face of uh, King Arthur <laughs> and Patsy. And uh, to be fair, someone called it the greatest piece of promo work they ever had. And I was like, if you'd known what I wanted to do, <laughs> much different story. Maybe it would have been too much. So I ended up having to go back and record them doing audio separately. And so I could keep the camera on the face of the person yeah. shouting and just pipe in the audio like it was happening live. But it, but it, but it clearly wasn't. <laughs> It was quite good. At first, like, as far as a, a rescue job went, it was okay. Maybe that's what made it good. Maybe it felt authentic to Monty Python. Look at me reflecting on the correcting I did oh, for that task. That takes us to our way. reflections and corrections. Um, here is my question about about time, which we did last week. Mm-hmm. Once you know you've got a terminal illness, does your body age if you go back in the past? I assume it would turn your body back to wherever it was. I don't know so why wouldn't you just go back and like just like you could live for theoretically you could live forever i see oh, yeah, i was questioning this does it actually like do, do they relive the day so they're still a day older but they've just gone back a day or do they go back to the age they were well we see no example that his dad's significantly older than his mom or any comments no. about careful so it seems like that when you go, go back yeah. your body reverts back to where you were and if you always return right to when you left, so maybe there's no extra stupid. mileage. So if he's read every book like 19 million times, maybe he's just going, I'm good. I've done every experience yeah. I wish I could. Now, granted, mm. I want to see my grandkid grow up, but there's that. Also, the idea that you could totally go back to whatever day it was that you first found. You could find out when, when the day you first had the cancer was. Well, he's, he said he, he smoked a lot, so it was probably before he had the children. Right. And but so you can't we know go you can go back twenty five years. Learning. Stop smoking. Learn. Stop smoking twenty five years ago when your no, last no, kids no. born. Yeah, but then he then he said that he wouldn't have met his mum. So no, no, after the kids are born, if it's yeah, after the kids, I think it's it's too it's it's too late at that point. He does say that. What is this? The world's slowest moving cancer? If it takes twenty five years to kill him, maybe. Oh, I'm telling you what. As someone who's got personal experience here. It seems to work like a lot years. faster than that. Yeah. For me, it was less than three months between finding out and my, and my dad passing. 
Oh, God. that's very quick. That was very quick. Yeah. Very quick. Dad looked underweight at Christmas when he came to to give presents. My mom noticed. I didn't notice, but my mom noticed. I remember yeah. her saying it. And then he died on St. Patrick's Day. So, and like that was after a month of being in the ICU. Like it was yeah. quick. That's so very like quick. That like, must have been very advanced then. Oh, by the time they absolutely yeah. by the time they found the, uh, the diagnosis, like that that's that's what this guy's talking about. Mm. That's you know, my, bless my dad. He wasn't sitting there reading a book on the couch, going well. By the time they found that it was too late, but it really is a bummer. Let's go walk on the beach. That wasn't my experience. I would totally like. I would keep going back in time, like like every day or so, and sort of see if I could learn how to become a scientist to try and cure it. Yeah, because living forever, literal superhero. Yeah. Like Groundhog Day, we we figured out that he spent what like seventeen years in that one day or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, like th- think about how like how long he could. Oh, great stuff. There are some theories that bored. say it's like thousands of years. Yeah, like he's an omnipotent god. Yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, um, we never did when we did our. Do you like this film or this film better? Remember when we were naming our Richard Curtis films? Yeah. There's one we forgot. I wanted to bring it to the table. What's that? I know what your vote's going to be, but I'm curious about Ethan's. About time or Love Actually. About time. Oh, love actually, love actually. Yeah, o- only because he rips off his own thing with the signs. If for no other reason than the here's your lines on index cards, that's, that's not the same thing. <laughs> it's that's totally the same. thing. It's not. Thing. That's someone passing on the in love actually. He's <laughs> no, passing on a message Boris, that he can't. When Boris use. Johnson it holds is, the signs up, everyone goes, "Oh, he's wrong. ripping off love actually." It's what he's, <laughs> he's doing. Ripping off he's about wrong. time. He's ripping off about time. No, because it's not the same thing. That's why they don't compare it to about time. Because in about time, he's literally just prompting someone with oh, lines in a show. I want a sign that says, "Say, say, Ian's right." Let's hold them up. <laughs> I think I get like this really nice warm feeling from Love Actually, and I think it's because of that Christmas time feeling. And About Time really got me, but there is just something about the, the anthologiness of uh, Love Actually, like just everything blending. It makes it feel so I sweet. I just can't get past what's his face doing that horrendous song. It just make it's just cringy. What, Billy Mac? It. I hate it. Oh, I love Billy Mac and that. Christmas all around. This me. is what happens when you've got. Uh, you know, unlimited days to go back. He became a pop star. He's saying, he's saying, did you notice that my dad looks an awful lot like Billy Mack? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always get that. <laughs> he was playing at the Christmas party. I'm sure of it. So there we go. <laughs> uh, we got some, uh, some more things to rush through here. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, Dwayne Smith said he rushed his fifth chair comments on it and it ended up missing so much that he wanted to say and i'm like well next time say everything you want to say dude i was gonna say if they're not up if the page isn't up for whatever reason feel free to like no, write this it was and then send this was just after. this was just him saying that he ru- he rushed his comments because life got in the way from that's all uh, he wasn't he wasn't having a shot at anybody uh hermie said trying to get, stop trying to get me off team ethan it's not going to happen <laughs> that's sad and danny from it's a musical uh says another fantastic episode thanks a lot danny danny and drew uh reviewing holy musical batman this week How are they oh yeah. nice yeah, that's star kid isn't it? it is yeah there we go uh we've got uh regular shout outs we got Stu uh from Stu world order productions more on him later we've got Vern from cinema recall for the love sci-fi revenant for the love latin jukebox for the love josh from your next favorite movie if you've got 15 minutes to kill go check that out because josh Ooh. is great and his stuff is the opposite of us we tend to richard said he loves us because we never shut up uh, he, he would have the opposite <laughs> issue with with josh because it's it, it, it's a tight 15 minutes mm. yeah 
But then again, Josh listens to us at work. So there we go. He, he knows we're a good work time. Listen, uh, Kev in the podcast that wouldn't die for the love. Uh, so wizard pod for the love. Shoot the flick for the love. A new listener, Sig. 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 S I G. Good name. Like, like a Sig without the two. Siggy. Who says, uh, you know what? You got my attention with this one. This is genuinely a good podcast. So thank you. Ha ha. Ha Double ha. Double ha. Ha ha. And then we have Alex who says, I'm 30 minutes in and only continuing for the guy in the British accent. Y'all need to give him a raise or something. And I said, well, which one? Is it Ethan who I think his accent sounds pretty British most of the time? Until he gets really excited. Or is it Liam? And then he went, no, no, Liam's where it's at, bro. He's my favorite. <laughs> By the way, I'll tell Liam I say hi. No, he's not here this week. Oh, no. Uh, but I will make sure that Liam knows to listen to uh, this week's episode for yeah, the love like from that. Alex. Thanks for listening, Alex. Uh, GIF of the week. Entries from Chris Peterson, Ian Davies, Hermes, Josh, Dwayne Smith, Cheesy with a Fish on a Bike, and Nate the Great. Uh, third place goes to... Not to Dwayne Smith. <laughs> you didn't give me a chance to Third say, place goes to... Uh, Chris uh, Peterson, who did Doctor Who season one, episode one, uh, when he tells when uh, Chris Eccleston tells Rose Tyler, you know, it travels through time, but didn't have the bit where she runs across like the happiest girl who ever oh. lived. That would have given <laughs> it the win. Slow mo, in slow mo. Uh, Josh, from next favorite movie, uh, who did the classic roads where we're going? We don't need roads. <laughs> but number one with a bullet goes to, and I'm gonna give you the space for this one. Dwayne Smith. Dwayne Smith. Who did the Dr. Evil trying to run into a time machine, but it's not turned on yet, so he just bounces off of it and falls <laughs> backwards. <laughs> so I look forward to Hermie saying it's rigged. Uh, not rigged. Not rigged. Uh, hands down, uh, the best one this week goes to I mean, it is rigged Dwayne. in the fact that you just pick by yourself. Smith, now I see Alex has joined us. monopoly. I see Alex has joined us in the waiting room. I'm hoping he's going to be able to hear me and unmute his microphone and join us. We'll see how this works in real time with a live microphone on oh, oh you, i'm here i snuck in oh you snuck in oh. do we have visuals or are we just looking at your name the whole time oh my word oh, hey we have visuals as well hey dude your hair is not throw off y'all's things i turned off my microphone turned off my camera i just snuck in your hair has undergone a significant change yes oh, wow. i've uh i've finally given in my <laughs> father's bald my grandfather's bald. every male on my side wow. of family's bald my hair, I was going in for a haircut one day and my hair was completely see-through. You could see almost my entire scalp. And I was like, you know what? I, I, it's time to throw in the towel. It's Hair was just never going to be it for me. Uh, All I've got to the beard. Nothing but respect for you, but I am so thankful that I sit here in my 40s with a full head of hair on me. I, it, it's, it gets to be a pain. Like today, I won't do what I wanted to. But uh, yeah, I'm quite I'm quite thankful. But it did mean I couldn't grow a beard till I was like in my mid-20s as a result. Uh, they say if you have a lot of testosterone, you tend to be able to grow a beard and other okay. <laughs> just a lot of body hair in general. Yeah, yeah. But you'll go bald quick. Whereas if you don't have as much testosterone, growing a beard is going to be a problem, but you'll probably keep your hair. Mustache, yes. Beard, no for me. Yeah, a mustache is like the last thing I got. Same. I've got this awful Tony Stark thing going on, and I can never get rid of it. Yeah. You could shave it I off. Can see it. Now that, that you've said it, it's all I can see. Yeah. That is an option. You could shave. What, the Van Dyke or Justin? <laughs> You just, I could. You just look like a pirate in the wrong in the wrong century is what you look when like. I, when I had, like, my, my proper, like, to, to my back length hair, oh, I, I, I look like a pirate or a cult leader, depending on, like, the volume <laughs> each day. I kind of miss it. Love that. That's a, that's a spread. 
<laughs> a pirate cult leader as well. No. Uh, this Make is pirate day. Yeah, we can do t- podcasts like a pirate day. We can do yes. that. Yeah. Uh, probably we should find a pirate movie to do that with. Just a oh, thought. I wonder which one. There's a franchise. No, there's Hang a few. On. Yeah. The second one's okay. Um, I feel like we had Josh on. Josh. We had Alex on all the way back in Catch Me If You Can. It was so long ago. We couldn't remember the episode. When we tried to <laughs> set it up last week. We had to go looking. And since then, uh, Alex, you've undergone like some massive changes, not just the hairstyle. Not just the fact you look you look pretty slim, buddy. Well done. If that's the, yeah. if, I think you've I think you've dropped some 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 of the lbs in that case. Well done. What is your secret? But you've undergone some huge changes. Do you want to? I mean, do you you don't have to share, but do you want to share? Sure. Why not? It's go. not like it's uh, crazy. So uh, yeah, actually, since the start of COVID, which is when I started my podcast, y'all kind of caught me at the beginning of it. Uh, since the start of COVID, I've dropped, oh Lord, don't do math while recording. That's my rule. So give me just <laughs> a second. I've dropped about, oh Lord, right at about 150 pounds. Wow. Whoa. The irony of the financial analyst who can't, who can't do math in his head. I absolutely heard the calculator. Go. <laughs> no, you see, it's not, it's not a lack of trust. Well, actually no, you know, it's not a lack of skill. It's a lack of trust. Oh, yeah. It is. It's like, you know what? Wait, what's eight plus five? You know what? Let me just. There we are. <laughs> All right. You have me doubting so, that it's 13. Tell you what, this movie told me I should double check every financial person ever. <laughs> so in that regard, Always. I respect your 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 thoroughness. So first off, so, the, the weight loss, which is a major life change. But you've also undergone some other changes. That's right. Uh, I actually, uh, I'm actually no longer a banker. So I've completely 180 Uh primarily due to the weight loss uh it's opened up a few more avenues for me so i've actually left the banking world and i'm now in flight school to become a pilot that's so cool i want to do that so (laughs) as someone who also sort of chucked in one career to pursue another one uh i was 28 when i chucked it in i don't know how old you were there um no i got nothing but respect for someone who goes i want to do something else there's so much time on the clock this is what i really really want to do so yeah yeah it's it, it was a it was an ordeal. So we up and left a honestly well paying job, sold our house, moved like fifteen hundred miles to the middle of the desert. My wife and I, uh, we actually had to change our wedding date for this program because they're like, yeah, this is a high intensity program. Like you, you're, it's a lot. So it's like, look, you either want to get married before or you want to get married after. And my wife was like, look, you ain't getting away with pushing this date back. <laughs> <laughs> For for, so, for for a minute, uh, yeah. I thought you meant you pushed it back to be on the pod. I was like, guy, that level of, <laughs> of I, thank you, but please do not do that. I mean, yeah, would you still be married if you'd done that? I got a podcast. I got to be I a guest spot. Here. <laughs> it's called a collab, honey. <laughs> I mean, we could say I do any day. You know how many how few times they call me and say, come on the show? They've done that twice ever. Dude, you have been on, because I mean, you and I have been talking about this for a long time, about getting you back on. And then you said you were starting um, flight school. And so you said it's either before this date or after this date would be really, really good. So we've had this in the can kind of loosely for quite a while because you came on and you were just too damn charismatic and entertaining. And I went, hang on, we got to put this in the can back a while here. There's, there's only room for, 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 for one person like that. And he's Liam and Liam's not here today. So <laughs> it's like a mega cool down. Yeah. <laughs> Just when he's left everyone's mind, going, oh, we need Alex back. Just when that time period's over, we bring him back. (laughs) 
<laughs> a new challenger has appeared. No, nah, no, nah, you were <laughs> uh, you were invaluable. We did the uh, catch me if you can. Uh, not just for your uh, expertise in, in in the world of finance, but you were just really, really, you had some really insightful and engaging um, takes on on the film itself. So, absolutely, open open door here. Well, we, we're definitely we're we're fans of yeah. of Alex from Main Street Finance. And I had forgotten how much I loved your voice. That's the oh, thing. Thank you for anybody who's like, because we get this a fair bit. Oh, we really like the difference in the voices in your podcast. <laughs> Today, we've got an English female, a Kiwi male, a Canadian male, and an American male with a, I mean, it's kind of like a, is, is it a Louisiana and Alabama? What is that? South Louisiana. South Louisiana. There we are. Mm. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. There we are. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, but there's, there's that. And even when we include some of our other friends, like um, Jace Law, he's got, like, got that California accent. Yeah. I mean, it just really usually come on. And it's like, how do I decipher these voices? I don't think it's a problem we have on ours. <laughs> Now, if you want, I can go full Cajun. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh. Subtitles aren't really a thing in an audio medium. That's the problem. Uh, yeah, if you went full Creole on me, I think I'd, uh, I think I might be able to hold up, but uh, I'm not sure about my uh, cohorts. I-, I went to an English class the other day uh, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm head of the department, so I have to walk into other people's rooms. Uh, you're the learning <laughs> stalker sense. now. Ew. Uh, no, no, it's open door. They can come into mine anytime they want, and I encourage them to. Uh, but I was just checking it out, and they were watching. Oh, what was it? Is it Cat on a Hot? Which one's the one with Blanche? Uh, oh, Streetcar. The Simpsons Street parody. It. Streetcar. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were doing Streetcar Named Desire, and the teacher told me she'd had to put on the subtitles because they couldn't make out the American South accent and they had no idea what the characters were saying so i'm like i'm sitting there going is she just watching like a really bad version off of youtube or it was like no we had to turn on the subtitles that's funny i had to do that with peaky i try to watch the first episode of peaky blinders i cannot decipher the birmingham accent at all love a birmingham like, accent oh no it's Baby. it's like it's like nails in a like a chalkboard for me because i just i can't decipher it well, I'll tell you what I couldn't decipher. This is a segue. Look at that. That's how you do it, the pros. <laughs> I couldn't decipher how the BFE went 0-4 in fantasy football last week. Yeah, that was bad on our part. Like, Ethan, I get. Yeah. Ethan, I get. But the I odds, kind of forgot about fantasy football this week. The odds that, that George and myself and Liam would all lose after Liam actually drafted decently for once is amazing. So I went down to Reverend Bruce, who 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 he needs to be pushing. Acknowledge I'm acknowledging yeah. Reverend Bruce because guy put up the big score of the week, and it was the he also had the biggest victory of the week. I put up a decent number of points, yeah, but not against Reverend Bruce. That wouldn't do me any good. Who'd you lose to? Uh, Stu. You lost Stu. to Stu. Okay, yeah. Ethan. You lost to. Ch- oh come on! How do you not know these things? And Liam lost to. I think Liam lost to Kev in the podcast that wouldn't die. I could be wrong on uh, that. I think Liam I lost to me. Oh, Liam lost to you. There we go. See, people who are who know us, they they know who they're up against. Yeah, but I, I am lost to Ed from Film Effects. Well, you're about to say you lost to the film uh, to oh yeah you lost yeah. to the computer from the film effect yeah fair enough yeah <laughs> um, yeah that's the deal I mean if you if you if you lose to to Alex in week one you're just losing to a computer for that I'm up against him, Reverend you? Bruce this week you are I'm against Reverend die. Bruce I haven't had time I've been sorted by uni I'm moving oh no it doesn't it I'm takes five it takes five minutes to set a lineup dude I know um, no but I'm up against uh, I'm up against Stu from Stu World Order this week um, I don't, I'm on the wrong league so I don't know who anybody else but oh George you're up against Alex, Alex yeah <laughs> so there we go uh, I'm gonna win there we go we'll see <laughs> who's your second quarterback now that Dak's gone down 
I have got... You don't even know your second quarterback. I was, I, che- I was checking his name, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, okay, that's not good. Uh, uh, yeah, Georgia's got a sixty percent win chance. She does. Yeah. She does. Actually, all the BFE, exception of Ethan, are favored to win this week. And Derek two point five. Derek Carr's all right. Yeah, yeah. He's got Javon. He's apparently just throw throwed to Javante Adams seventeen times last week. Yeah, that was the problem. Uh, Stu had Javante Adams. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so every time I actually got any points, he was also getting more points. So there we go. I have a thirty-two percent chance of winning. Well, I'll tell you when you would be winning, and that's if you uh, join our uh, Royal Roundtable. Go ahead, throw your top five in. Top five films that have anything to do with monarchy. It doesn't have to be the English monarchy, just monarchy in general. Uh, we, I, I've, I'm trying to get Ethan off the Star Wars kick. Like, yes, she's Princess <laughs> Leia, but that's about as much monarchy as gets discussed in that I've got film. got a couple up my sleeve. I you've, don't watch that many royal stuff. You've got more of a case of the Phantom Menace doing stuff with monarchy, because that's actually c- considerably more. I than, do love that movie so There we so go. Much. So there you are. So I was sort of thinking about a short list, but if you're out there uh, in the general, uh, to go ahead, check the hashtag B- BFE Top 5. That, that that's a movie that will be eligible ethan thank you yeah um if you're a patreon we'll go ahead and throw a top 10 up as per usual so that'll be up before too long uh why are we doing this because we could get alex on and why wouldn't you want to do this so um this is uh the big short directed and co-written by adam mckay adam mckay who's usually a comedic writer and director he'd previously yeah. written and directed anchorman talladega nights which i love i think that's an, a hidden gem of it's a movie it's so fun uh, Step Brothers, I'm not so big on that. Anchorman 2, uh, he was the writer alone, no director of Ant-Man, and the writer-director of the Netflix uh, sort of surprise hit Don't Look Up earlier. I really like Don't years. Look Up. Yeah. I've never seen it, but it was, he, uh, it was big. Did he write Vice? I know he directed Vice. He did, so he did, he did write and direct Vice, yeah. I, another, the lists I provide are not comprehensive because it would yeah. take all day. Another podcast. Those are the podcasts that will read out movie by movie their IMDb mm. listings. That's not my goal here. Since McKay went real time. serious, he's done good. <laughs> no, we've hit four Sorry, hours. You yeah. do not need to pump up. Was that, that Alex saying pat out the runtime? Yeah. <laughs> when we hit four, well, I went. We need to do, do something about this. I want to do a seven-hour pod at some point. Not on this one. Cinematography by Barry Aykroyd, <laughs> who also did United '93, a great film, The Hurt Locker, and Captain Phillips. Oh, wow. That's oh, a is Captain good... Phillips the one where he lands the plane in the water? No. no that's, uh, no. look at me, that's I'm Sully. a captain now. Yeah. That's Sully. No, Same Hanks guy, though, Tom Hanks. Movie. But it's when he gets, like, like Somali pirates come and take over oh, his I've boat. I've seen that one. I've only yeah. seen a clip because it was used for an exam clip. Music by Nicholas Bertel, who also did Moonlight, Vice, oh. Don't Look Up, and the TV series Succession. Oh. For what it's worth. Um, I don't know. For me, this was, am I the only person for whom this wasn't a first-time watch? Uh, second watch for me. Okay, second. Uh, no, like third watch for me. I tried to. This sh- actually was a first time watch for me, which is surprising. Yeah, we exchanged <laughs> some notes there. I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, I got a spot for you where it's like let let, let Alex talk. let Alex do his thing here. <laughs> I just want to set up the context, and then I'm all about that. Um, yeah, I think I, sh- I tried to show this to Ellie at one point. I'm trying to remember what what what, what roundtable it was about. And I was like, you need to watch this. It's really really good. And she hated it. We didn't it. do a... Did we do a... Is it a boy film? We haven't done a Christian Bale. I, I, you, you tell me. I don't know. Do we do a Brad Pitt round? No, I don't no. know. We've done a Brad Pitt. We've done a Christian Bale. Which one's Brad Pitt? 
Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. We'll talk yeah. about it when we get there. The face blindness is half the fun. Um, in 2013, Paramount acquired the rights to the 2010 nonfiction book, The Big Short, Inside the Doomsday Machine by Michael Lewis to develop into a film which Brad Pitt's Plan B Entertainment would produce. In March 2014, Adam McKay was hired to write and direct a film about the housing and economic bubble. Screenwriter Charles Randolph, who co-wrote the film with McKay, said one of the first challenges was finding the right tone for the film. Basically, he was trying to go slightly funnier than your average Milos Forman comedy which is all grounded character based but didn't want to go so satirical where you got wag the dog i love wag the dog so them's fighting words <laughs> somewhere between here and there is what i was shooting for once if it's toned down i went through the plot uh the market's movements gave you the timeline uh you make your short deal and the bank's trying to squeeze you out then it all breaks loose that was pretty easy two years after that mckay then rewrote the screenplay and it was his idea to include the celebrity cameos in the film to explain the financial concepts um and then uh, finally, uh, Michael Lewis, the author of the original book, said that this only got made if Adam McKay then promised to make a sequel to Anchorman. So <laughs> oh if you're like, why God. did we need a sequel to Anchorman? Because Adam McKay wanted to make this film. And <laughs> it was the only way he, he could make this happen. What a terrible movie Anchorman 2 was. Well, there we go. Uh, he did actively encourage his cast to improvise where possible. I mean, I don't know. Um, Alex, is it best for you to sort of begin with a thing or is it better once we hit certain ideas for you to jump in and do your rant? What's the what's the best time for this? Uh, unfortunately, I think I'm I think half of this is going to be me ranting, but uh, let, let's go ahead and start with this is something that I had mentioned to you. Ah, good Lord, if I can speak properly. You're right. This is something that I had messaged you You're earlier. You're taking over from Liam. The bar is not that high today. <laughs> Oh, well, good. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm it. <laughs> All right. So first off, I want to take 10 seconds just for your newer audience. So my name's Alex from the Main Street Finance Podcast. I have a degree in finance. I've been in finance for, uh, oh, Lord, seven, eight, nine years, something like that. I'm not doing math on the pod. Uh, I've worked in commercial banking for the last about six years until recently, where I've underwritten about $350 million in loans that my bank has funded. Uh, total deals uh, is in the billions. My biggest deal was 5.6 billion. It was a S&P 500 buyout. So that's just my, I kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, disclaimer there for anyone who doesn't know who I am. Totally fair. I should have done that off the start. Thank you, sir. That's <laughs> all good. Uh, and then the context I wanted to set up here is so the events of this movie take place at about 2005 is where everything starts. And then it gets progressively worse until we eventually get the big break in early 2007. So the stage that kind of needs to be set here is, is I'm going to be moving around with my hands, but I'm going to try to be vocal as much as possible. So <laughs> I know a lot of people are just listening here, but at any given time, you've got what we refer to as the risk curve. And now this curve starts bottom left. Imagine it curving up into the right, almost like a opposite Nike swoosh where on the lower end, you've got pension funds, people who cannot afford to lose money. They just need to be making a return because they got to be making these pension payments to retirees. Then you go a little bit farther up the curve. You've got people saving for retirement that maybe could afford to lose a little bit because they've got you know, 30, 40, 50 years until retirement. And then you keep going up until you end up with you know, people who have extra money to burn and they're just trying to you know, they're gambling, trying to invest in the risk, riskiest stuff imaginable, just because, you know what, why not? I've got a few bucks. Let's do it. Well, in 2002, you've got the financial, not financial meltdown, but you've got the crash of the dot coms. All these dot coms go crazy. I'm not going to talk too, too crazy about that. But 
we're in recovery mode in 2002. So what the Federal Reserve does is they lower the interest rates on U.S. government debt. And for anyone that doesn't work in finance, U.S. government debt is considered the safest investment in the world. Pays out typically 3 to 5%, depending on what you're investing in, depending on the time period. Well, in the advent of 2002, those interest rates dropped to basically 1%. So you've got all these people on the bottom end of the risk curve that are used to getting that 2 to 3 4% that now that's no longer a possibility. So because they can't do that with, you know, the safest thing imaginable, US government debt, they need something else. They need they need to keep making that return because especially the pension funds and 401k funds, they need that constant income to be able to pay out so what you end up is, what you end up with is what we call people moving up on the risk curve. So I was getting my 2 to 3%, but now I can't get it here. I need something else. Then you get to mortgage-backed securities, which while not government debt, it's still considered very 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 safe. So because you have all these people that need to now need this safe investment, you have a crazy rise in the popularity of these mortgage-backed securities. Then you start getting in the supply and demand of, well, how many mortgages can we get? Oh, well, we need to get more and more mortgages. And then you start kind of getting into the craziness of this movie. So I'm going to stop there, but I really wanted to set up why did these things blow up so much? Why? Because these things have been around since like the 70s as we get into the intro of the movie. But I wanted to set up, that's why everything goes crazy here. The dot-com bubble and the drop in the Federal Reserve interest rates. It's really interesting because in Canada, we didn't really have the dot-com bubble, I don't think. Not to the same degree that you guys have. You're looking at me like I would know. Um, <laughs> no, here's the thing. I always pitch to whoever the other no, person in the room is. And know. usually it's Liam. And Liam's role is he just kind of like nods vacantly. Whether he, <laughs> he just knows what his role is. I, I nod appropriately. You know me to nod I vacantly? Just, I just need to keep... Con- <laughs> Because you're just, you just, what you're doing is you're just allowing, allowing the content to keep moving forward. Okay. Just know your role, as The Rock would say. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, there we are. I don't like being spoken at, so like I will respond. Well, two, like, spoken mm-hmm. to. But there we go. Um, <laughs> you said you're directing it at me. There we go. So we get the title card. It starts with, it ain't what you know that gets you in the trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so by Mark Twain. And we get the, introduced to this world of banking. And we get to establish like banking used to be a boring profession. Quite dull, not much in it. And that all changes with some guy named Lewis. I didn't catch his last name. Lewis. That's okay. Oh, I wrote in case it down. you got it. Oh, you wrote uh, it down? Okay. Mary. Yeah, who kind of changes the banking system. I didn't really quite get what this was about, but it was the idea of how do you package banking in a way that basically does kind of what you're saying, well, but like 30 years earlier, where you start to see, at least in the movie, pension funds and things like that jump on this idea of mass uh, collaborated debt packages based on mortgages. So I can give you like a one minute kind of rundown. Give me here. the one minute rundown. So I've prepared a whole bunch of explanations here. So I don't have to think it up in the moment. So I've, I've came very prepared to this. So Louis Rainieri is not necessarily famous for mortgage-backed securities. What he was famous for is what we refer to as creating securitization. So you could always go and buy someone's loan, which essentially means you are now saying, hey, I'll give you this money. Now your monthly payments come to me and not this person. Now, what Rainieri did was he created securitization, which instead of going and purchasing one loan, hey, you're paying 1500 bucks 
of your mortgage to Bank of America. Instead of paying Bank of America, now you're paying me because I've paid them off. What securitization does is you do that for a thousand loans and not one. So if you're a hedge fund or a big bank, whatever, you don't have to go and do a thousand different deals to get something significant. You can go buy this one thing and you get the rights for a thousand mortgages. And I corrected my reading, my assumption, my interpretation that because of the volume that you're purchasing, it kind of mitigates the risk. Sure, some of them will fail, but you're buying so many that they will fall in line with what we consider to be kind of expected parameters. Right. And then the background of that is, again, the U.S. housing market at this point had never had a major crash. So you get this sort of laissez-faire, who cares kind of attitude, which you see throughout the rest of this movie of, so what? If they default, we, if they default, we get the house. Housing prices in the U.S. keep rising. Houses are always more valuable. So you know what? Cool. Let them default. Then we get really more money because now we can, instead of getting 1500 bucks a month for the next 30 years... Now we get this $150,000 house. So, boom, we get a quick turnaround. Excellent. Uh, and so we get this idea that banking went from the country club to the strip club. And I loved this juxtaposition of your boring 1970s banking. Like, within moments, it's, it's, it's hip-hop music, it's, it's strip <laughs> clubs, and it's, like, the least, you know, boring banking. This isn't yuppie New York banking yet. This is still 1970s, you know, dads and granddads and uncles in, in sort of bad 70s suits. And so it's, it's kind of setting you up, I think, for what the tone of the film is going to be. It's going to be this really, really what we thought was boring subject matter. It might still be boring subject matter in its, in its content, but when you look at how it's been played out, it is much more rock and roll, hip hop, strip club. <laughs> George, is, George is like, you're not selling me on this movie like this. <laughs> you're not. Uh, and then 30 years later, we're told it all comes crash- crashing. I said crashing on my notes, but I mean crashing. <laughs> None of the world leaders saw it coming. And the voice continues to tell us there were some that saw it coming, a few outsiders and a few weirdos. Not him, of course. He's not an outsider or a weirdo. But they did it by doing something really that cool. no one else thought to do. <laughs> yes, is what he says. Yeah. But they did it by doing something that no one else thought to do. They looked. And then we do cut to a freak and a weirdo. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Michael Burry, played by... Who is this? This is Batman. Which Batman? This is Christian Bale. I am the knight. This is He's got in, hair. I this can't is, tell. This is in Santa Fe. Are you there? He's the lead guy from Newsies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hated that film. Uh, what else? He's Gore the God Butcher from... He is, he is American Gore the Psycho. God Butcher. Yeah. That's which is really is. weird. Yeah. Because I, I like I, I, I like this film. George hasn't seen American Psycho yet. Although it's totally on my <laughs> list of one we have to do one day. It Liam's sounds, big on it. American Psycho, I'm not going to lie, sounds like uh, like American Horror Story episode uh, or season. It's probably much better than that, but yeah. Yeah. In the same vein. It's Am a, I going to not just a like re- it? It's just a really interesting film. What did we watch recently that had Christian Bale in it? I'm trying to think now. Uh... It might have been Thor. No, we reviewed something, and it wasn't Thor. Uh, oh, the, the laptop's away from me, so I can't look, but that's okay. I will just sort of assume that it was something. Do you want me to Google? Uh, I mean, I loved him in Public Enemies. Yeah, we didn't we even done that. Uh, I haven't even seen that, actually, to be honest with you. If you want to look it good. up, you can. Um, so Christian Bale, uh, he met with the man he's portraying in, in the film, Michael Burry, to research the role. It was supposed to be an hour meeting, but it went for nine hours. Um. When he met with him, he asked if he could have Burry's actual cargo shorts and T-shirt, which he wore in the movie. Uh, Bale later said he hoped that Burry would would make it to the film's L.A. premiere, quote, because I really want to sit next to him and see if he's going to punch me in the fucking face. 
because <laughs> of the representation, I suppose. Because uh, it was too good or too bad? I'm assuming because I, if I had to assume based on that note, I think he probably oversteered into his, uh, what I would assume is very real autism, which is how I think it's played. Am I? Oh, yeah. 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 Can, we, can we agree with that? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, the real Michael Burry does have a, a glass eye as, as, as shown in the film, uh, Lola effects did the special effects for Christian Bale's glass eye in the film. There's a special effect over his eye. Yeah. If you look carefully in some of them, it doesn't move the same way it's supposed to. And that's, oh, the, that's and that's the way that it's, that they did it. Like, so sometimes they do move in unison, but sometimes yeah. they would just hang around because that's what a real glass I, eye I, would do. I didn't even notice They painstakingly went through every single frame, every single shot just to get that right. And the fact it. that we don't notice, perfect. Because <laughs> you I should. Suppose, yeah, no, I suppose yeah. so, but, but like, why put the effort in there because I didn't notice? Uh, because, can't because Christian Bale's like, we have to get this right. Christian Bale's very method. I um, mean, he spent nine hours on a one-hour meeting. I mean, he did. I mean, then, then <laughs> like he said, give me your sh- out then, give me your t-shirt and cargo shorts. Not let's take a picture of we can buy them. No, give me your actual t-shirt and cargo <laughs> shorts. Um, he said that you can see a housing crash coming. It's painfully obvious. They're markers, and because of his. Uh, what the film stopped short of calling autism, I guess I'll say, because of his outsider thinking process. Yeah, he's so lack of social skills. Well, he's just so married. The idea of other options don't even occur to him. He's like, this is the only way that makes sense. Why would you do anything else but this? This is the only thing that we we can do. So, um, and then you cut, and you think he's like having a conversation with a close friend, and we finally get who he's talking to, and the guy's like, "So, do I get the job?" (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, "Yeah, all right, go ahead." Yeah, go go find a desk. Go find a desk. He actually he doesn't even say that. The guy volunteers. I'll go find a desk. I guess. Um, and uh, then you know his first mission is go go find me all the mortgages in this one mortgage bond, even though it's thousands of individual mortgages because no one had thought to look on that granular of a level. So there we go. But he asked, did you think it was weird when the tech bubble crashed in two thousand one? All these people are out of work. What should usually coincide with that? House failures. People de- de- defaulting on their mortgages, right? Because you own the money now to pay for your yeah. mortgage. So if that's the case, and you've got a whole area where there's lots of people who don't who need to sell their house, yeah, and not some people who need to buy a house, what should happen? The price of houses should go down, yeah. But the price of houses went up. Uh-huh. He's going. Didn't that strike you as weird? And it's a great question because it should. And you look, we've gone through even in this country, we've gone through a. Uh, a heck of an economic downturn in the last 15 years mm-hmm. and the mm. housing market continues to go up so you want to talk about what percentage of your income and it's interesting i think i said mentioned earlier where your house is now not an asset it's a debt mm-hmm. because the, the price of your house you know isn't in percentages of your wage what it was 10 years ago no um in this country we're all waiting for a correction on the market yeah well i was looking mm. in like this time last year i was looking to move out to buy yeah you were um and i wouldn't have wanted anything big i only would have wanted like a one bedroom probably a ground floor flat something like that um with some garden space and i was looking at in the region of between like 80 to 100 thousand pounds is what i was looking at and to now i needed at least five thousand pounds to get a mortgage but ideally 10 so five to ten percent yeah yeah and I couldn't, I couldn't get anything. There wasn't anything. No one was selling. So I couldn't even find a place to kind of like whatever. And then in March this year, 
I was looking again, as you do, and basically spoke to like some um estate agents and some mortgage people and basically and what is what is the thing here and they're like no one no one will sell to you because you're a mortgage and people are just selling to cash buyers at the moment but two the amount of money that you would get on a mortgage so i would still be paying i think it was coming out that i would be paying almost half of what my salary was at the time every month just for the mortgage and then because all of our energy bills and everything went up yeah I would have no money. I could live in a house, but I could not do anything else. That well, was it. So it well, was, ca- it's just not worth it. In Canada, I don't think we ever had the correction, but we see happen in the States because we've got different rules. Uh, if there was a correction, it was very minor. And really all we've seen is continued up. So uh, when I moved to England, I saw house prices that I was like, wow, it's reasonable. You can get it on the, on the housing ladder here. It was 2012. Mm. And I'm seeing you can buy a house in a, you know, you're starting on the on, on the property ladder, but it's a house for about eighty five thousand pounds, and now that same house would be going for at a one in front of it, yeah. and that's pretty much I where that ha- and that's yeah. over that's over ten years. We're looking at over a hundred percent increase in the housing market in ten years. So yeah, I, I think the fingerprints of this film still feel like some elements of it are still around. I think I'm just so pessimistic, though, that I've just gone, I'm never going to own a house, though, so what's the point? And I think that's what speaks to how we got into the problem that happens in the film, which we should get back to. But uh, I think it speaks to people who were um, this idea of the American dream and the idea of, look, you can come here, you can have a house. Who who did they appeal most to? Some of these uh, sharks, for lack of a better word. Uh, who, Who were they specifically targeting with that concept? Probably people who felt that, same idea i'll never and then they move and they go oh i can have one yeah because it sounds good why why would they be lying to you yep so um that was march 2005 then we meet mark bomb tell me you knew who mark bomb was yes it's steve carell well, okay hang on you can't go yes when batman showed up and you didn't <laughs> who was. Well, I don't like of course batman. i know i will <laughs> i will say there was less difference between between yes but no no there was less difference between batman and Dr. Mark, this character here, Dr. Mike Burry, than there was between Michael Scott. Hear me out, though. Yeah. Hear me out. I have watched approximately maybe four hours of Batman. Didn't like it. He spends a good three hours of that with his face completely covered. How many hours of the <laughs> Hang on. have I watched? Oh, okay, fair enough. But also, like, you saw The Prestige? Yeah, but he doesn't look the same in The Prestige. That might have been it. There's, there's twice as much bail in The Prestige. Yeah, and he's, he's got, like, short hair and, like, stubble. He doesn't look the same. He doesn't have stubble. He does have stubble. Very little. It's like a tiny bit. Yeah. yeah that's what stubble is. Otherwise, it would be a beard. Oh, okay, anyway. I will say, <laughs> Steve Carell has a voice, and it's the vo- it's a very distinct voice. He sounds like Michael yeah. He sounds like, at least, yeah, he sounds like Steve Carell. Um, based on a real guy called Steve Eisman, uh, Adam McKay and, and Steve Carell are, are long friends. If you think about the Anchorman films, I mean, Steve Carell's in oh, those. Oh, yeah. he's Is he brick? Yeah. 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 Um, but he wasn't seriously considering him until he saw his performance in a film called Foxcatcher. Now, I've never seen Foxcatcher, so I can't comment on it. I was going to say he had the same kind of look as he does in Foxcatcher, just without, like, as much of the prosthetics, but that nose still has that kind of thing. Okay. Um, I didn't like the blondish hair on the Steve Carell. I think... Yeah, what, the, the blondie kind of hair? Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not a good look. I think we think, because of the scene we've just seen, where there's a job interview taking place, I think we think there's a guy who's also at a job interview... Mm. And he's talking about, you know, his bad situations and, 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 and what would occur. And then Steve Carell comes in out of nowhere and the wide shot tells us, oh, shoot, this is a 12-step program meeting. 
um and he's just going full rant and he's clearly not engaging with what it's really supposed to be about but you can tell his anger is comes from ripping regular working class people off which is kind of mark's mo yeah i'm gonna defend the people who can't defend themselves because i do know better yeah steve carell should definitely just age naturally steve carell should just play the handsome man yes, but, at the moment but that means you're just playing leading man <laughs> stuff oh, georgia the camera's over there you can't see it <laughs> <laughs> he is a pretty man we've got we've got the canon t3i uh rebel the t3i canon 600d that we talked about before uh, alex joined us over sort of working as our webcam and so georgia by default went to hold it up I to the laptop screen which isn't which isn't the camera it's just our that's uh, why we're looking down here at you not like i'm not yeah. dismissing you alex you are like here on wait i'm not seeing you from there i'm seeing you from the laptop where she showed the phone is where i'm seeing you wait what, what? <gasps> Ethan, like, are you, you are not looking at me right now Ethan, how are you seeing us uh you guys like looking off just a little bit so if i do this is that coming towards you no. It's like you're pointing at where I can see myself, but it's not towards the camera. Yeah, yeah. It's because the camera is the camera here. Is, yeah. if, if I'm doing yeah. this, am I looking down the Yeah, 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 you're pointing yes. at me. Okay, Alex is, is, Alex, is just, yeah. Alex is just messing with us. That's what's happening there. <laughs> we thought no, the whole I'm world was... seeing y'all from where y'all were just pointing. Yeah, if I'm pointing there, you're, I'm pointing right at you, right? <laughs> right. That is not the computer screen <laughs> webcam. That is a camera across the room. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of a setup and send it to you. Look, y'all do. were pointing the other way earlier, all right? Here we go. And I'm it's do, early morning I'm going to pose. I have my, my coffee. I'm sorry. There we go. I'll take that picture there. <laughs> the, 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 it's hard to see the, the, um, the camera because it's positioned right in front of my giant game, yeah. black television. But hopefully if you see it, it will show uh up there if i do this see i'm buzzed i'm ready i've had like three coffees today which probably isn't good for me but we we move Bruh, i brewed coffee and then i realized i brewed the coffee that was old and stale and not the correct one but then it was time to hop on so i'm i'm on here just struggling (laughs) Um, it's pumpkin spice season so it's all it's coffee 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 all day every day don't call that stuff coffee um (laughs) then georgia goes to starbucks and gets like the, the stuff without coffee in it Sometimes, sometimes. I usually do get a frappuccino. You I are, cannot you lie. Their teas slight, are good. You are developing a slight coffee flavor. I am, to take. Yes. yes, you are. I got a. I had. I had a. Uh, what they? Not. What's the the one with all the milk? The frothy one. Latte. 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 Yeah. The one Latte's with all. Good. You two people would be the worst people to be stuck behind. And I'd be there just getting ready for no, my. Just give me like I a regular coffee. And Georgia's like, well, it's pumpkin season. And then Ethan's like. <laughs> Hang on, but then, but then Laffy Boy over here is going, oh, oh, the one with all the milk. Give me that one. To be fair, I usually just get like a tea or a black tea and I'm gone. I like cafetiere coffee with condensed milk in. Straight. It's there you good. Go. Condensed milk. Um, but we found out that Mark won't speak about his own loss, even though he's at this program. Um, and so um, Michael gives us a little bit of his... Uh, his own thing. He's phoning his um, his guy by guy. I mean Lawrence, his mentor, and we find out that Michael is always right. Acknowledge me, and <laughs> like he's just always right. And so he's got autonomy in 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 what he does. He's clear of anybody if he wants to do. And this is the crux of this matter. Legally, he's totally within his right to do everything he does in this movie, mm. even if it's going to scare a lot of people. Yeah. And so uh, he predicts that the banks will fail in 2007, that over 15% of mortgages will, will fall and that will collapse the housing market. And then we get asked by the voice, do you feel bored? Do you feel stupid? 
good because you're supposed to now they don't have an alex from main street finance at their disposal uh they get instead we we have to settle for margot robbie in a, in a, in a bubble bath you know what frustrates me i mean me i'm this? not mad about it <laughs> but i'm not mad about this it either. the third straight week we thought we saw margot robbie in a film we but the second one for sure that we saw her in yeah. This what this frustrates me because they use the best celebrity cameo first. At the time, she wasn't Margot Robbie. Oh, I know, but like this is pre Harley Quinn. It's still the best one. Yeah, this is Harley like Robbie a year before Bubble Bath. Is at the time Selena, Selena Gomez. At the time, Selena Gomez was probably the biggest one. I maybe Anthony Bourdain. You're a very niche market for that, Ethan. I, I got know. very sad seeing I, him. I won't lie. I didn't know who he was. Uh, first to be fair, is this Margot Robbie? It wasn't this like a year after Wolf of Wall Street. It's, yeah, this is like two two years, twenty fifteen. So like two year and a half, Wolf two years. Street, but she's not Harley Quinn yet. I don't know nah, Harley Quinn. Huh? I'm really excited to see her as Barbie. Well, yeah, there we go. I don't. I don't and Ryan Reynolds as Ken. There we go. Um, and Segway. Segway. Yes. Um, <laughs> Let's get in the pink car and zoom on to the next uh, part of this. <laughs> so she explains it. Now, she's actually really in a bathtub, obviously, but she's actually drinking 20-year-old Tom Perignon while she's shooting this. And so the, the only challenge was she did have to do her lines from memory, though. So <laughs> the more Dom Perignon she drank, the, the harder that became. Can Is it here? We some uh, about-time cue cards. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, some, some of the actually cue cards would have been mm. great here. And so what, what, what? Because they're lines. No, because. It's about time cue cards. No, because she's holding up signs that say, because when you're in this movie, you tell the truth. Yeah, but they're still Just like lines. at Christmas. <laughs> um, but basically her her the, the reason she's there is to explain some basic vernacular for us. And that is that anything that says subprime means shit her words not mine yep. but that's the point of it so we need to learn the vernacular so that we can feel like we have an act and that's a really hard i mean this movie's got to do that for you it's a, it's a big challenge how do you make this film accessible and they choose to go about it using this way in the original script they asked for they wanted some other celebrities in this so one was going to be beyonce and jay-z oh my god yeah <laughs> uh so but the, the, they, they got who they got i think that they work for the most part pretty well i think three is the yeah. right amount but this first I, one explaining it i guess it's sort of almost a fourth one that happens later but uh we'll talk about it when we get there is it here we should talk about the uh whole content like this the film's continuity editing because this is like the big the big part where continuity goes to shit what do you mean so the first time i watched this film I was like good but the con like the continuity like per edit is awful because there'll be scenes where like margot robbie's holding something or there's like like basic things will move around oh, is, this, is this where the butler shows up out of nowhere yeah so ah, so it's, it, it's, in, it's, it's a it's a self-aware construct i have no, 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 no issue with it I, no, no i'll look I'll, I'll say because the editor for this film i found this out the first time after i watched this film the first time um they purposely made all continuity editing in this film obsolete because they wanted you to like be as mind fucked as possible to have the over over uh the looming sense of dread that everyone had like the uncomfortable and uneasiness you had uh during the financial crisis of 2008 so they made things I that get, they weren't I, I, I guess yeah because some of the well editing done, in this but yeah the I editing did, in this is like purposely shit at points and i love it because of that Okay, I, mean, I feel like sometimes Margot Robbie in a tub is like they're not going to catch that. Most yeah, people aren't. Yeah, that's that. the question. What are you paying attention to? If it's like, wow, look at that cotton. It's it's like it, it's it's. It says more about my sexuality than I think anything. Well, maybe. <laughs> 
Wait, um, her hand moved in between shots. Yeah. Where did that put down? It was, well, it, no, was only, it was only you half the full clink. Of the previous shot. No, you hear the clink of her putting the glass down and then she does it again and again, like as the shot, as the yeah. shots continue. And I looked into it cause it happens throughout the entire film and it's all purposely done but for that. Keep in mind, like this film consistently has characters break their narrative and look down the barrel of the gun and address, you know, um, historical accuracy address just certain situations like it's it, it's a very the tone of the film is very we know you're watching a construction so deal with it so none of the continuity yeah. really bothered me because oh no i don't think it's bad i, I think yeah. it's genius how it's done because it's so purposely it's self-aware that I, it's bad and I it does it itself it's only it's only genius it doesn't matter what they want it to mean yeah. it's only genius if i pick up what they want me to mean and i didn't you know what I'm saying? Like, just because yeah. like, this means this. Well, I, if I don't get there, it's the house moving castle rule. If, if you have, if you have to, read no, in house moving castle, <laughs> house moving castle, be that Doctor Michael Burry is a witch. I think it was because the first I noticed it the first time powers. when I looked into it, Maybe and I went. I think it's because I looked into. It, I went, okay, that's really interesting because I noticed it. God. But again, I guess if you don't like, but. Again, I think it's a really interesting tidbit. Well, in the words of Margot Robbie, got it? Good. Now, fuck off. Back to Mark. <laughs> he, he studies the Torah. Oh, we find out that Mark's in Bay's backstory. Like, <laughs> the rabbi goes to his mom and goes, he's so diligent in studying. And he goes, isn't that good? He goes, well, he's looking for inconsistencies in the word of God. <laughs> well, are there <laughs> any? Are there any? And he just kind of looks at her like, of course there's going to be. <laughs> You want to have a continuity issues? I mean, that's a big old book. I say, wasn't it also written by several different people famously? I don't know. I don't know about. I don't know about the Torah. I can talk about the Bible. The Bible is famously mm. written. Oh, by it's like it's, all the oh, yeah, it's sure. dozens it? of different yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are going to be inconsistencies. Yeah. Um, it helps when they're named after who wrote them. It's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like you're like, oh, I know who wrote those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they have surnames. Bible Genuine sin. question. Yeah, it's of their town. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, or their trade. Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, or Jesus Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, well, he was Jesus of Nazareth. So, uh, back to Mark. He st- st- oh, we said that the voice tells us another thing about a terrible tragedy, and we don't yet find it until we meet Cynthia Bomb via oh, a phone exciting. call, uh, played by Georgia. Do you recognize his wife? No. This is a Auntie M. Is it M? Is that what her name is? Auntie on on May. Aunt May, that's it. Auntie yeah. M's from Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Oz. Aunt yeah. May from uh, Spider Man. Which Spider Man? Really? Tom Holland's Spider Man. Mar- Mar- Marissa Tomei. It's not Marissa yeah. Tomei. Yeah, Mar- it is. Ready for this? Also for the wrestler. <laughs> Cynthia Bomb played by Marissa Tomei. Right, also for also for the wrestler. Oh god, yeah. I'm one million percent right. Get ready yeah. for this because it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, I don't doubt you. Yeah, it's Marissa Tomei. I had like a little cheer. Also, I know for a fact it's her because she's on the age game. I also know it's her because one of my reference notes said it's the second time that Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, and Marissa Tomei have all been in the same film. Oh, what was the what was the crazy stupid love? Lovely film. Oh, lovely uh, film. Yeah, I see it. Now. Uh, there we go. George is looking it up. I think. I can't find what. what Type is this in Marissa Tomei, the Big Short. 
Georgia, if you don't trust him, I just looked it up. Yeah, I do trust him. <laughs> I just can't see it. And so my, I, I, need, I need my brain to be able to comprehend the facts. So she's trying to get Steve to quit his, Steve, Mark, to quit his job. Because I love my job. She goes, you hate your job. I love my job. You're miserable. And she's oh trying God, to. Yes, it is. <laughs> she says that she's trying to, you know, she says she's unhappy every day about what happened. And then we get sort of get told that something happened to the brother. And then we get the shot of the cell phone. And it's in focus. But in the background... Uh, with shallow mm-hmm. depth of field, we can see someone on a, we never get to see his face, um, which is interesting because that'll come into play later. But uh, we get the idea that he's talking to him. He's literally talking to him on the phone when he jumps. Yeah. Which is, and it's all implicit, but I thought it was really powerful mm-hmm. in that, in that moment. Uh, Michael goes to Goldman Sachs. Um, this is when I felt that like Christian Bale was just like going like, how, how do I, how, how far am I going to play this guy as being, if you want to call it socially awkward or if you want to call it autistic mm. because he's swaying back and forth he's not getting through sentences before he has to stop and restate them uh, they're all they're obviously kind of mocking him mm-hmm. as they're doing it they're all in their nice suits he's of course is, is he the suger i think he's in a t-shirt and short still yeah i think, I he, think he's he even wears a suit they even say like you're not wearing shoes oh so that's right yeah yeah, yeah barefoot. um that is another uh not for everyone obviously but is a an autistic trait is it? wanting to wear shoes always be able to feel the floor yeah. um it's grounding he always uh he says i want to guarantee you'll be able to pay in case you become insolvent and they're th- they're thinking in case we become insolvent like the banks banks don't go insolvent sir this is not the thing but they go okay fine we can do that but then you have to pay us a premium if the housing market gets stronger and he goes, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Um, so oh, can I jump in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So what he's creating here is what eventually becomes known as a credit default swap. Yeah. Now, swaps, it, it would be incorrect to refer to this throughout the rest of the recording as a swap because there are all kinds of swaps. This is known as a credit default swap. Essentially, think car insurance, but instead of, oh, I need to be covered in case my car breaks down, I need insurance in case someone doesn't pay. Now, the trick with a credit default swap and something Michael Burry did and did very much on purpose is you don't have to own the thing that's being insured. So what Michael Burry is doing here is... So it's, imagine- like, if I, it's like if I took insurance out on your car. Yeah. Okay. But and like then all also- knowing it was about to break down. Yeah. With, with, it's like I have the insider schematics that say that the car's going to break down. <laughs> <laughs> like you know i'm a terrible driver in the last five years i've crashed three cars like imagine being able to take out insurance on my car but not only just my insurance but there was no cap because you don't own the car anyway oh, so shit. i might have a ten thousand dollar car but you can get insurance for half a million so that way if i get into an accident you get half a million dollars that's that that's in effect what's created here with the credit default swap. He doesn't own the bonds. He doesn't own the mortgage-backed securities, but he's wanting insurance on it. Now, because it's insurance, there are insurance premiums, and this comes up in the more in the spotlight later on. So it's insurance. So like insurance, you have to pay a monthly premium. So what they're saying is, all right, yeah, if you want, you know, what was it like t- the at Goldman? I think it was like two hundred million dollars in insurance. Yeah, if you want two hundred million dollars in insurance, I mean, you're just going to pay us this monthly premium. So, you know, as long as, you know, these things don't default, you're going to keep making these monthly payments because that's how insurance works. And the argument is if the thing being insured, the car, or in this case, the housing economy, if it increases that too, we're, we're now insuring a, a larger sum. Would that, would that be right? Not necessarily. Oh, then you're talking about, 
because then you're talking about the value versus because here what you're what you're insuring against isn't really the bonds themselves it's the stream of income that you would get from owning this thing so you're not so much if the value goes up that doesn't really change now there is something later on where value changes where it is going to be a very big thing and we will be talking about it where the value change involves michael burry would have to spend more but that's not this I'm yeah. glad we've got Alex because I had no idea what they were paying money on to begin with. I was like, how, are they buying the bonds? What are they doing? Because like, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I could have done five cents on the dollar as to what he said. I'd have been all right, but not nearly, not nearly that. I had that. no idea it was like an insurance type thing. I, I, I didn't way. get that. We should even in a bathtub with some Dom Perignon and that would have helped. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, the, the cable for my webcam didn't reach. <laughs> <laughs> they, they offer him five million. He goes, can we do a hundred? And to them, it's like they're going, How, okay, we'll, we'll take your five mil guy. Yeah. And he goes, can you take a hundred mil instead? They're like, yeah. One of the ladies actively says, this is Wall Street. If you're going to give us money, for, we'll take it. If you're going to give us free money, we're yeah. going to take it. And he asks for one of the cups. And if someone just gave you $100 million, they're going to take all the cups you want. Okay, so remember, he's not giving them $100 million. That's what he's insured against. So remember, I've got a $20,000 car, but you can insure it for half a million. Right. He's insuring the bonds for $100 million. Up to $100 million of payment back. So yeah, yeah. My, my if bad. they default, he would get $100 million, which of course, because it's a bigger insured amount, that means a bigger monthly payment. Certainly. Um, as yeah, he, I didn't get that either. Thank you. As he leaves, they're all laughing at him. They're all like, you're an idiot. And he's got his mug. Um, and then he keeps going everywhere. Uh, next bank, it's 200 million of, of coverage he wants. And there's a montage of pop culture, banking info, and then stuff inside the narrative. And Mark keeps taking mugs everywhere yeah. he's gone, which would have been nice at the end if we'd come back to like the, the row of mm. mugs. That might have been nice. Just trophies. Yeah, just trophies. Yeah. Like, let us see. At the end, he's just drinking out of one of them or something like that. With the like, or just like he goes to like make a cup of tea and they're all in there. And they're all there. Yeah. And he, yeah. Uh, I felt that was something that could have been hit harder. Uh, interesting, there is the little shot of the little girl saying, I want my money, which is, I don't know if you saw that. It's from a very famous uh, short film done by Adam McKay Will and Will Ferrell, um, where the, the little girl said, I want my money, is supposed to be like his landlord, and he's like explaining why he doesn't have money to pay rent right now. <laughs> and, of course, the humor is in the fact that she's like a toddler. You pay now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the short film actually that was written by Adam McKay and then released on Funny or Die, which is a website that they created. So oh, I didn't realize that he was the one who created made that in the in the in the pre YouTube days. Yeah, well, there you go. That's that that launched the what was it between two ferns? Was that Galifianakis as well? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that would make sense. Huh. It's it's that same group, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's the second film I've got that clip in. It was also in Boyhood. <laughs> so oh God! There we go. Boyhood, um, fan, oh, a fantastic uh, film in terms of scope. Attempt. In, in terms of writing and acting, very uneven. Very uneven. But he, he had that mug pull up. I was hoping it was gonna be like, like some sort of a bank as he as, as Alex just drank from one of them there. But it's uh, <laughs> is, is, is that in Arizona, is, is it? it? It's Starbucks mug. Oh Starbucks, just, Arizona. Starbucks, yeah, they have the uh coffee cup of each state. Yeah. So uh, uh-huh. my wife and I have a thing. We want to go to every state and get all fifty of the cups. Well actually wherever I go, my sister collects them from all around the world. And so I tend to grab mugs wherever I am and, and hang on to them for my sister. Whenever I get back home again, there's about three of them waiting for her. So there we go. Um moving on, we've got uh we meet Jared Vennett, played by the voice, Ryan Gosling. 
No. <laughs> yeah. Did you not that recognize Ryan Gosling? That is, that is the gray yeah. man. Yeah. That is the gray man. <laughs> it's 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 the hair. The hair is so different. The, which, the hair. He's Ken in the upcoming Barbie movie. Yes. Have you not heard? Yeah. <laughs> which which character is he playing? He, he, he's, he's the, the guy that he's goes. The guy I'm really like the, fucking cool. He's the guy. Yeah. He's the voiceover he guy. Yeah. The he's same. the guy who gets his forty seven yeah, million at the end. He sounds like Ryan Gosling. He does not. Yeah. All I see is Ryan Gosling. La La Land. La La Land. Come on, the notebook. The yeah, notebook. Yeah, there we go. He's usually quite a safe bet for me. I usually know who Ryan Gosling is. It's because he doesn't wearing is a suit. It's because he doesn't have his trademark like like little goatee thing that he usually has in almost everything he does. Or he's not blonde either. It's like black slicked back. Oh my god, it is Ryan Gosling. Yes, it is. So. Um, you know, tell me what they've done in this film. They've turned some quite attractive men into, and women, because Marissa Tomei as well, and made them look not as attractive as they usually do. Well, Marissa Tomei looks fantastic in this. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't think of a film where she doesn't, okay, to be okay. fair. She doesn't look as good as she looks in other films, but she's still a very attractive woman in this. Yeah, but she doesn't look like her. She doesn't look like Aunt May. Obviously, I didn't have the issue picking her out, but yeah. <laughs> also, that is not Ryan Gosling. Uh, it is Ryan Gosling. <laughs> uh, based on a real guy called Greg Lippman. In the special features of the Blu-ray, director Adam McKay revealed he wrote this role with only Ryan Gosling in mind. It and is it, a proper Gosling role. And it was his first appearance after he had a break from acting in March 2013. Um, and he tells us, I told you we'd meet again. And I love the tone of this film where he's like mm. the self-aware, I know I'm in a movie, even when I'm doing the, like, now we're in the real timeline and I'm not doing the, the omniscient narration yeah. thing. He's still aware of his part in oh, the story. I really enjoyed it. I just had no idea. Um, so um, we found out that. Um, so he's sort of talking about how he sort of starts overhearing this for the first time. And he's at the skeezy little New York yuppie banker bar. And he even goes, I told you, I'd never hang out in a place like this. <laughs> he's like, this is not <laughs> where I found out. And I love that they even acknowledge when they're taking creative liberties. Yeah. Um, and then we go back to Mike at the office who's done. He's taken out $1.3 in um, coverage. Swaps. Yeah. Insurance. How many yeah. millions is in a billion? 1,300 in this case. No, how many millions? 1,000. Because 1. Yeah. So 1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1. $1
Um, Macaulay Culkin's big brother? Uh, little brother. That's what I keep thinking in my head. <laughs> it's just, I th- it's just little yeah. brother. Yeah. They look it's identical, actually. to yeah, be fair. I'm not making a joke. It really is his little brother. I'm yeah. pissing about. It's no, <laughs> Kieran Culkin is in Home Alone. Kier- little boy. Kieran Culkin's the one who wets the bed every night. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Uh, I was going to say wizard. No, what's his name? Whatever his name is. He's the one who drinks the Pepsi and Weezer. smiles. Yeah. It's not Weezer. That's, that's Steel a- Magnolias. <laughs> um, it turns out he has a tragic backstory about losing his dad, but he doesn't talk about it. And then he breaks the fourth wall and goes, it's true, I don't talk about it. No, he does look like... <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's now. really good. He does look like Macaulay Culkin. Who does? His brother. Okay, I thought you meant this guy. Mike. This guy's not related to him. Uh, they got a, it turns out they got a wrong phone number from someone who wanted to short the housing market. And this legitimately happens. They legitimately only find out about this because someone phoned. The, they were looking for Mark Burry, and they got them instead. That's mental. That is crazy. Yeah. And so Jared finally meets Mark. He's practicing his speech. And it's a little, it is a little slick. It's a little too put together. It's a little too much of a pitch. So it does scare them. And I understand why, because he looks like everything these guys are supposed to hate. Yeah. He looks like one of those big yuppie bankers. And he goes, I mean, he is. And he goes, exactly. That's why. And he goes, you type in sleaze and he's there. Yeah. And he goes, do you smell that? (laughs) That's money. And it's it's, it's opportunity. No, it's not. it's money. And they go, oh. But there's this great, and this is almost like the second celebrity cameo where they dumb it down for us, the Jenga Tower. Yeah. Which is really, I think it's really effective in explaining to someone what a um, what one of these packages is supposed to look like. Yeah. That was where like that. We're being told that 95% of this package is AAA, but you can see clearly from their demonstration. It's not. That actually, it's only about 20% AAA, and there's just a bunch of other stuff put in there to beef it out. And then the danger of it is that it all comes tumbling down. So that was really, uh, <laughs> really said, intelligent. You said beef it out, and we had that horse meat scandal that was to beef out the beef. There we go. <laughs> that, that was years ago. That um, was like 2013. So we find out that it's gone from 1% defaults to 4% defaults, and if you make it as high as 8, everything comes tumbling down. So what does what does that mean? What is the defaults what is, is I'm going to pitch and then he's going to tell me how I'm wrong. <laughs> defaults like is just what percentage of people lose their houses because so because they can't pay their not, mortgage. Not just don't no, no, pay once, don't payment. No, you lose. you lose the house and they reclaim the house. Okay, so that's so 4% is still that's, is that quite low? Well, it was 1%. Right, okay. So it's a pretty high number. Everybody looks surprised. Remember when they type it in, they go, oh, wow, it's up to four. I haven't heard about that. Right. That seems like it's significant. Right, okay. How am I doing? Uh, pretty close. Hey. So, so by definition, default just means someone is not going along with what the plan is supposed to be. So technically, a default isn't necessarily all the way up to foreclosure, like you were saying. And default is just they don't make a payment. Because if the whole point of these securities, the mortgage-backed securities, is it's like a bond. You buy this thing and you get these payments. Well, if someone skips a payment or misses a payment or maybe they're two months late, three months late, whatever, they're not going to start the foreclosure process just yet. But if you're the one managing this thing, you are no longer receiving that payment. So now you can't turn around and give it to the next guy. Okay. So, or the person who owns it, you can't give those payments. So default is just people not making payments. We're not necessarily at foreclosures yet, but we're having payments being missed. And the math on that gets really crazy because we get this here and there's two big numbers we're throwing at that we don't really get a full explanation. So here we get that 8% default rate. Yeah. So we get, okay, we got that 8% default rate. And then I think a little bit later, uh, we get a statistic that the entire mortgage-backed security fails 
if 15% uh, something goes wrong with them. Now, the reason for that is the, the, the difference between the value of the thing and the income of the thing. So I'm going to re I, uh, this is just a really simple example. Don't quote me on it. This is just everybody really qu- write this down and quote them on it. <laughs> but this is just really clean numbers to demonstrate the point. So let's say you have this mortgage-backed security. There's 10 loans, 10 mortgages, $10,000 each. Okay. Okay. So we have 10 of them. So the whole thing's $100,000. All of the mortgages are at 10%. Okay. So for let's say this whole thing just lasts a year. So 10 mortgages, 10000 each, total value, $100,000, paying 10% interest. So for this whole thing, the only income you're going to get is $10,000. With, right? Yeah, because all 10 of them are going to pay one grand each. Correct. Okay. So all the mortgages together, $100,000, 10% interest. So that's $10,000 in income. With that scenario, if one of those mortgages fails, then like you have to reclaim it, say you have to sell the house, whatever, forget the home sale value. If one of those people defaults and goes through full foreclosure, you've lost the, you've lost $10,000 right there. So that is with one of the 10 failing, you have now lost the entire income stream of the whole thing. Okay. That all make sense? Because we're assuming I'm losing the entire value of the house in the process? I think Correct. For, well, for just that example. Yeah. yeah. That's just what I the income. Yeah. yeah. Because you have to t- keep in mind, you have to take this example and you have to multiply it by a thousand mortgages Certainly. to get to the real thing. But. It value wise, you're good. But the whole reason you bought this thing is because you want that 10% income. Yeah. And now since you've lost, since you now have to cover that house, you have to sell the house, you have to do all this. And while you've got three months of getting to foreclosure, then maybe two months of foreclosure, and then maybe another two or three months to sell the house. And you don't want to get fair market price. You want to liquidate this thing because you need the cash. So you can't get a fair market price. So you're going to take probably a 20% haircut yeah, yeah, on the yeah. house. So by the time you get to the end of this, really, if one of those mortgages fails, or let's just say two and be generous, if two of those 10 fail, then the whole thing falls apart because you've lost all the income going through foreclosure processes, sending letters to the people, trying to sell the house for a loss. So what's important here is the scale of it. Even though one mortgage-backed security might be 2,000 mortgages, all it takes is this 10 or 15% to fail, and the whole thing implodes. Thank you. Okay. Huh. That makes more sense. That's what because because like the one four and eight percent seemed so tiny that I just I couldn't. You didn't see how that would cause I everything to come down. It. No, but that that makes more sense. Now I'd like to say look at my math guy because I've got uh, Alex here, but uh, you know when questioned, um, Jared says, "Look at my math guy." And we pan over to this guy we haven't seen the whole like he's been knocked out of the shot, and we pan over to a guy he calls to a guy he calls huh his quant his quant yeah my 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 quantifiable his name's Yang. Uh, have you noticed anything about him? It's very racist. Uh, have you noticed anything, anything about him? Look at him. He's uh, he was uh, he won a national math competition in China, and then he then he looks at the camera and goes. Actually, my name's Young. I do speak English, but he just likes it better that way. And I can, and <laughs> makes I can me in, more legit. Makes me more legit. And, and I came in second. And I, <laughs> and I love this because it it does create this lovable sleaze ball, which is Jared. Yeah. Because we because because we do we do have a lot of heroes in this movie, or we have a couple of heroes anyway. Yeah. But Jared's not one of them, and Jared's very upfront. I'm looking to get rich. Yeah. I found a loophole. I'm looking to get rich. 
Uh, and then he sort of, he says, look, one of the great metaphors, I'm standing in front of a burning house offering you fire insurance. So you can buy fire insurance on that house that is already on fire. So is it going to pay out? Yes. Yeah. So, um, and then we, and we get educated on what a CDO is. And the CDO is kind of, we just lump everything together. Even though it's all full of crap, the ratings agency will give it a 92 to 93% AAA verified score. What's the deal with the ratings agency? I don't understand that. Like, why, one, why does, what does the rating mean? Two, why are they able to lie about things? Well, you, you, you gotta have someone to regulate. Otherwise, you can't just leave them to their own devices. But they might as well be because they're just rating everything. And that's the deal. You wanna help out with that, Alex? Sure. So there are two major rating agencies in the U.S. You have Standard & Poor's, one company, Standard & Poor's and Moody's. Now, these guys are very much at this time not really regulated. They are private companies. These are not government organizations. These are, think Google reviews. That's what these guys are. So <laughs> you, can't, you can't trust the bankers because they're the ones making all of these things they're also the ones brokering it they're also the ones that make uh they also make a commission every time they sell one of these things so if you're an investor or a pension fund whatever and you don't have time to really dig into this stuff you can't trust what any of these people are saying you need a and i'm heavy quotes heavy quotes unbiased third party (laughs) to look at this stuff and give it a rating so it's a lot like if you go to you know, Amazon, whatever website to shop for something, you're going to look at the reviews. But imagine if there was an organization like in the US, we'll have like the Better Business Bureau, where you've got this other entity that all they do is buy Amazon products, test it, see where they break, whatever. And then they give a review. Here's what we think like, this thing is. Kind of like which. Wise. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. But which is like, test a, mother which, is, which is legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is like government backed, I'm sure, I think. I, it's, it's a lot more credible, like but anyway. Yeah. So you, that's what the ratings agencies are. They're supposed to be an unbiased third party that comes in and evaluates these things for people who are going to spend millions of dollars on these products, and you can't trust the bankers. Uh, just a quick uh, scaling thing. Moody's and Standard & Poor's both use different scales that sound very similar. Essentially, at the top end, you've got AAA. Then it downgrades to AA. Then you have single A. Then single A drops down to triple B. Uh, then you get triple B, double B, single B, and then triple C is the bottom of that scale. So anything triple B or up is considered like prime. It's the good stuff. It's investor grade. Anything below triple B is considered, uh, the official term is junk bonds or just junk. So if it's not triple B or has an A, it's considered trash just for scaling here. Okay. So, but but why why is that able to exist? So why what, are the rating companies the, able to be the so way corrupt? it gets pitched later in the movie is there's that woman whose name is Georgia, yeah. who's blind. <laughs> you know what I mean? She <laughs> got like the, the big glasses. Yeah. Nice metaphor. Um. <laughs> so the, the the notion being that they know because because they get a commission for every time the, the, there's there's a fee. You want us to grade this? We give you a yeah. there's a fee for that. And you look at the, the amount of business. How many things do you need rated? And each time you're getting a little bit of a little bit of cash back your way. What happens if I then threaten? Look, I need to get a good rating. I'm taking all my business across the street. Right. Why is that allowed to happen, though? That's that's the question. There's there's a there's an awful lot of this movie that you're supposed to say. Why is this allowed to happen? 
Uh, I think that's the thing. They're not really regulated. They're a private company that's really able to do whatever. As much as this film wanted to say this causes like the global housing collapse, which which it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, the reason we don't have something similar in Canada and we don't have something similar in the UK is because you couldn't you couldn't have this. The regulator would have to be tied to the government. I think that's part of why this is so. This film is so confusing to me is because it, it it's just so improbable. There's a bit of a cultural barrier. I know it did happen and all these things, but I'm just going, no. To us, to us, the extremes of the American free market, where you're like, you know, we don't want big government interference. We can let the, the, we can, we can have the thing regulate itself. Um, there, there is a bit of an accessibility thing where you go, someone should have oversight over this and someone who, you can trust there should be someone in yeah we, we would be in favor of government regulation uh because it's just the way that we kind of run things in those two countries whereas in america not so much yeah how am i doing am, am, I, am I being inaccurate here alex uh, it's nowadays the situation I, I will say this nowadays the situation is very very different does it does there still is there still nonsense that can go on yes but that's also the point of this movie. Like yeah. stuff was so unregulated stuff was such the wild, wild west wild that west this stuff was, is that this stuff was able to happen because there wasn't this reform. And I have a whole bit at the end of this to talk about what actually happened because of all this, but that that's kind of the point you're supposed to be like, what the heck is going on here? Is, is it the same? Like obviously because you talk about government regulations. Is it the same for like other sectors or is it just banking? I don't know what, what the question means. Like say, Obviously, that there's government kind of like control over a lot of things over here, like with schooling, with NHS, with banking, um, with government, with all, all of those things are kind of regulated in amongst themselves by like the by the government. I will say, as far as education goes, just because I've got some sort of a knowledge base on that, yeah. and because I'm interested, and because I watch a lot of John Oliver, um, yeah, there has been. So, like, in the idea about, you know, standardized testing yeah. and how that's petitioned and how they end up in what schools and why are these one or two or three education companies handling the test for, like, 70% of the country, yeah. there is a little bit of that still out there where, yeah, going private hasn't resulted in um, the correct level of oversight. It does feel like, actually, the game's a little bit rigged. I'll say in the British system, it feels like the game's a little bit rigged at times with, you know, mm. um, you've got certain schools where people are examiners. I'm an examiner. Yeah. And yet I'm allowed to teach. Now, I don't know any advanced knowledge, but I, you tell me that because I get to see all the exams at the end of the year, it doesn't make my teaching any better. I, I, I'd have a hard time or I don't have access to a higher level of discourse or know yeah. exactly what I get to ask the questions about how to really answer the exam that other schools don't. Mm. That's a bit fishy. Um, and even some schools where Ofsted, Ofsted's a thing over here, Alex. It's, it's almost like if the government had like a food inspector had come in and drop in at any time <laughs> and check out a school. We have Ofcom as well that do the same for yeah, yeah, yeah. businesses and mm. stuff. But I was just explaining because yeah, no, I know about education. Yeah, we so, have the same. Right, but so with it, so they get to come in. But there's also teachers who know people or who – there's teachers who work for Ofsted three days a week and in a school two days a week. And you really tell me they don't know who's coming when or no one's getting tipped off or it's, it's, it's all very whatever. Now, that's a little – it's still a little bit wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But there is still a system in place. There's still place, a system yeah. in place, yeah. That kind of so, does Georgia- some regulating. <laughs> The best answer I can give you for just the entirety of the United States, just to be as broad as possible, is in general, we don't regulate something until something goes really wrong and causes a very bad outcome. Then we come in after the fact and say, okay, you know what? Maybe we should have some guardrails here. <laughs> Unless so in general, shows. if that thing hasn't happened, then there's, there's no regulation. 
Okay. Okay. Um, and then just a quick note on Chris, the assistant, who gets a lot of abuse, but is really quite funny here. Um, he was an extra on set for a day and was pulled out of the crowd to play the assistant uh, because they just thought, hey, he looks like the, the right guy. So, yeah, basically then his one day of work turned into the two weeks of filming, and he shared every scene with Ryan Gosling. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not a bad deal. And then we got Anthony Bourdain, who told us about a CDO. And I thought, it was, I thought it was a really effective metaphor. Here's all the leftover stuff that no one wants. I'll put it together. And it's not old junk fish anymore. Now it's something new. It's a seafood stew. Yeah. <laughs> That's not old fish. It's a new dish. Uh, I like that. I love so, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, can, I, can I get a minute here? Yeah, go ahead. So CDOs, it's, you're meant to seem silly when you say CDO. So it's a loan, a collateralized debt obligation. It's a debt obligation, which has, it's a loan. Yeah. So when you hear CDO, it's basically a loan. Okay. So you got to remember the timeline I was saying. So you got 2001, 2003, 2005, mortgage-backed securities. Everyone wants them. Banks are making tons of money buying these things, packaging them together, selling them to pension funds, all that kind of good stuff. The problem is the gravy train keeps rolling as long as there are mortgages being given. And then those mortgages are then able to be packaged and then sold. What's starting to happen around this time that we're doing CDOs and mixing and matching the junk that didn't sell before, at this point, we're running out of qualified home buyers because this, uh, this mortgage-backed security thing has been going on since like 2003. So you've got like three years of everyone who's qualified and who wants a mortgage can get one. Right about here, we're starting to get to the point where we start getting predatory, and that's we're going to get more into that later in the movie, but... While the the CDOs are coming in when it's like, okay, everyone who can qualify for a mortgage has gotten one. Well, now what do we do? Okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's maybe lower our standards a little. Let's, let's give some mortgages to people who, you know, six months ago, we would not have approved. Let's, let's start giving those. So then you start getting away from these AAA rated people. Now you start letting the subprime people get mortgages because, hey, let them default. Oh, we, then we get to keep their house. That's fine. Oh, we're going to mix it that bad person's loan with, you know, a thousand others. So it's fine if that one person defaults, you know, as a percentage, we'll keep that down. Let's get. So what you're seeing here is standards for mortgages are starting to come down. And so now the people you can't mix and match to keep that 65% AAA rating. So now it's like, oh, well, if we put a bunch of double B's and triple B's together, well, now all of a sudden it's diversified because, yes, they are all kind of a risk, but there's a thousand of them. Therefore, it's safer. So we're starting to see the lowering of standards here. And then this combines with your frustration about regulation because this is then going to the regulation house and they're calling it 93 percent triple A. Cool. Because, yeah, they're all triple B, but, you know, there's a thousand of them. So what are the chances that, you know, half of these people all default? So it's 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 triple A now. Yeah. I have a question about basically the whole premise of this film. Um, Shoot. The, like obviously, because they've the, the bonds, the banks, who are the banks selling? Are they selling shares in these bonds to people? Like, what is, I, I don't understand. Are we talking like, about the CDO we, now? Are we talking about the shorts from earlier? No, the, the, uh, the, the, the actual mortgage backed security? Yeah. Like, what, how is that a th- how does that work? Because you mentioned like pension schemes and people. Is it just like everyday people buying shares in them and like making a little bit of money off of them, like stocks? They can, yeah. Or so, so is that what it most? I, I just I just don't understand the main premise of the film. Yeah. <laughs> so in general, a vanilla bond is a loan. I give you a, or you give me a thousand dollars. I'll give you say ten percent interest per year for the next ten years, and then at the end of the ten years, you get your thousand dollars back. 
So that's just a bond. So then you have a mortgage-backed security. But now, instead of you giving me $1,000 and I just give you interest and I'm using that $1,000 for whatever, now you're giving me, say, $10 million. I'm using that $10 million to give mortgages. And I'm not really giving the mortgages. They've already been given. I'm just purchasing them. So you give me $10 million and then I'll give you the right to receive payments from these 10,000 mortgages. So what you then get is monthly mortgage payments for the next 15, 30 years, however long the mortgage term is. And at the end of the 30 years, you get your $10 million back. Okay, so it's people kind of buying in to be in charge of other people's mortgages. So uh, you want to buy a house. I give you 100,000 pounds for you to go buy your house. Look at him doing the proper currency for us. (laughs) I do what I can. So I give you the 100,000 pounds you need to buy your house. In exchange, you're going to get, we're going to say it's just interest. In exchange for the next 30 years, you're going to give me 10,000 pounds per year. I need some money. I gave you that 100,000 pounds and you know what? That that's that's tying up a lot of my money. I need to, you know, I need that hundred thousand for something else. But I've got this agreement from you. I can't just make you give me that money back. I've I've given it a loan. We've got terms. I can't just call it. So I go over to Ian and I say, Hey, Ian, I've got this mortgage right here. She's paying me ten thousand dollars per year, and then or ten thousand pounds per year. I'm catching myself. Yeah, ten thousand pounds per year. That's how they get end of the thirty years. (laughs) You get the hundred thousand pounds. So for all of this, you know. 30 years, uh, 10,000 pounds, whatever. There's a certain amount of a total amount of interest and then the original 100,000. I'll tell you what, I will sell sell this to you, Ian, for the low, low price of 150,000 pounds. So to Georgia, nothing has changed. She's still making her 10,000 pound payment to me and and I'm in turn. And she's completely unaware that any of this has happened. She's just paying her, her, her mortgage off. Correct. Yeah. So- Nowadays, there's a regulation that's changed. Homeowners now get notified, but there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, hey, just so you know, we've sold this mortgage. Yeah. So then you get into servicers versus the owners. So I'm still servicing the loan, which just means I'm collecting the payments. So I'm collecting the payments, then turning around and giving that money to Ian because he purchased it. I gave it to him or I sold it to him. So you get into that. And now Ian is the investor. He doesn't want to evaluate people, find out who's worthy of getting this mortgage. He doesn't want to go hunt down people. He just wants to put his money somewhere and earn an income. So I did the work. I went and I found you, helped you find a house. I gave you the money and we arranged the payments. And then I turned around and sold the right to collect those payments to Ian. So you're still working with me. I'm collecting your payments, but I'm turning around and giving it to Ian. Now, Ian has also paid me a 4% fee for going out and finding you and getting this set up and doing this whole thing. In addition to the premium of me selling him your mortgage. Okay. So I get my hundred thousand dollars back that I originally loaned to you. I get the two, three, 4% fee of selling it to Ian. And then I also get a servicing fee because I'm doing ongoing monthly work in collecting your check and giving it to him. So you're in a better position than Ian is. Well, theor- not necessarily. No, because I'm well, still. I'm doing the I'm work for the long run for it. Okay. So I'm still turning 100 grand into 150, or 150 into the into the 300. You'll eventually give me over. Right. Okay. So I'm still up 150. It's just going to take me longer to get there. Right. And he's receiving that payment 
every month. Yeah. So he's right. he's putting a hundred thousand to work to earn ten thousand dollars a year. Now you multi now keep in mind we're keeping this really small numbers for yeah. understanding. This is happening in like the tens of millions of dollars. Okay. Yeah. So you have these people like pension funds, which pension funds are, you know, you work for a company for 30 years and they'll take care of you until you die. Mm -hmm. So these pension funds need to have this monthly source of income because they need to be paying. They need to send out monthly checks to their ex-employees. So do businesses do the Ian role then? Yes. So you can have. Okay. So Ian could be in this scenario, Ian could be a pension fund, a 401k fund, a mutual fund or a hedge fund who's just looking for a source of monthly cash flow. So or it could just be a regular investor who bought shares in this. So the guy you saw who was like, I'm a pension fund. I want to get on this mortgage thing. That's kind of what he's looking for. He's looking for that level of just a source of monthly income might have worked for a business or might work for any sort of thing. But it can also be like a regular person who just buys a share in what you're doing. Correct. You can go today yeah. and buy a share of a mortgage-backed security, and okay. then you will get these. Start getting a portion of these monthly payments. I used to have okay. a thing with a pension company when I worked at the factory, and it was something. So much of my check would go towards it, and they would do it on my behalf, and I would tell them how risky I wanted to be. Yeah, and that was that. Now it was through my through my work, my paycheck. I could go to them as a private individual and go, "I'd like to set something up, please," and I can still go ahead and do do that as well. So, but we can both happen through your employment place, or you can do it just privately. So like when the pe- like I get the ad on, ads on YouTube for like not everyone's a stock trader but you could be oh it's like that five hundred whatever it is it's a little bit different mm. is it how how so w- stocks I, I don't I don't understand stocks either so this is not this is not good and it's not really the place for it. yeah it's we amazing. are getting away from the like, <laughs> so it's just people that have got lots of money giving that money to other people but in exchange for getting more money back well pension funds are great yes. because it can add my money to alex's money to ethan's money to your money and then someone who's overlooking that sud life would be a company in canada can utilize all of our money which can then access them greater opportunities than if i just did it myself knocking on a door going i'd like even though i could i'd like part of a mortgage please yeah. i can diversify more because they can expose me to a greater number of things because they're buying on behalf of thousands of people not yeah. just me so basically, if you're rich, you can get richer. But if not, you have to pay the rich people. Uh, sort of in certain situations. But keep in mind, that a lot of this, the biggest targets in all this ended up being pension funds and 401k funds. So those pension funds, and 401k funds. So right now you're X years old. I'm not going to make you say your age or anything here. But, you know, at some point you want to retire, right? Yeah. So the amount of money you're putting away now needs to grow by the time you need to start getting that money back in retirement. So you need to have this mechanism for people to put their money somewhere and let it grow for 20, 30 years so that they can eventually retire. Right. So pension funds are really who do this. And then it's the hedge funds that do the crazier stuff. And honestly, it takes 10 seconds. Stocks are exactly like this. You have something that makes money. You want to buy you know, a certain share of that. So that way you can get a share of the earnings. I mean, it, it, stocks work a lot of the same way, just different okay. mechanism. I, I, money confuses me. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> well, right. you know, I do have a show for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, back to Jared, who's playing with his Jenga towers and just saying things, random things like, you know, oh, what's this? There's no income verification. What's this? It's this. And eventually it all falls down. And then, thankfully, someone goes, the audience is going to be thinking this, so I'm going to ask it. And they go, what is that? Because they're setting up his comment of, that's America's housing market. And then right then, they, they kind of go, whoa. And right then, the assistant goes, way to go, Jared. And he goes, shut your fucking mouth. 
um and so he leaves and they go what is this guy and there's like you you just and, and they're trying to talk mark out of it going you just want him to be right and he goes yeah do i want him to be right yes i do yes i do uh would i buy a car off him hell no <laughs> but let's find out which is great they're gonna do their due diligence he says this let's go look and see what it's like on the ground and this feels like a really late time in the game to be introduced to our our other two main characters yeah charlie and jamie uh, played by John Magaro and uh, Finn Whitrock, respectively. I haven't really seen him in anything else that I can recall. Nah. Uh, based on two real guys called Charlie Ledley and James May. Not that James May. Aww. <laughs> um, and so they're two hot shots from young hot shots from Boulder, Colorado, who um, want to get into the big boy game of uh, what's called an ISDA. And they go to J.D. Morgan, and they have a meeting in the lobby. They don't even get to go upstairs. And they miss the minimum um, sort of company valuation. Capital requirement. That's it. By just $1.47 billion. And they go, <laughs> so close. They go, let's be honest. This makes us look bad. Of course it's going to make you look bad. Um, probably introduced to us so late because these aren't big big name stars or anything like that uh but they happen to find a prospectus and just stumble upon it and they do look and go okay look this isn't how it happened <laughs> <laughs> i heard it through a friend of mine who did this and then and then he read it on this uh, on this in, in this in this uh, journal but we'll play with it here and then we get their backstory about how they turned one hundred and ten thousand into 30 million dollars by betting on the things that no one wants to think about um you know these aren't like it still isn't like me and you. I mean, the, the guy made, you know, 110,000 sailing, you know, yachts up the eastern seaboard. Like, dude was doing okay anyway. But uh, they decide we got to call Ben. And then we meet old crotchety Ben Rickett, Georgia, who is played by Brad Pitt. What else have I seen Brad Pitt in? What else have I seen <laughs> Brad Pitt in? Ocean's Eleven, he's the guy he, who keeps eating with the blonde hair. Fight Club, he's the guy we thought was super cool and you refuse to acknowledge. Looks really cool. Oh, he does not look cool. <laughs> Bongiorno. Bongiorno he, he, and Glorious yeah. Bastards. Bongiorno, um, boys. So he's got like... You will give me my Nazi scouts. really old yeah. in this. In this? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So so first, what, not, six years after? I'm not yeah. mad that I didn't know who this is because he's got a lot of glasses and. Well, beard to be fair, he's hair. also trying to look like a guy who lives in the woods and you know grows. He his looks own like seeds a hippie. Urine. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he's not supposed to be. Yeah, he's trying Wait, to blend I'm not, in. I'm not mad about this one because right. he doesn't. He's not even supposed to look like Brad Pitt. That's there okay. are some rumors. This is based on a real guy called Ben Hawkins. There are some rumors Conan O'Brien was in the running for this. Oh my! Imagine. <laughs> It wouldn't have been nearly as good. I, have I a hard know, time, but, but it's Conan. I saw it, so I thought I'd throw it in there because it was a fun conversation piece. Like, his company is, like, producing the film. Yeah. I have a hard time believing this wasn't always bad, uh, Brad Pitt's role. Um, unless he thought he couldn't make this film because he was double booked. I don't know. Um, so, Ben Rickett thought the whole world was uh, going down, but he got out. He's done with big banks. Uh, and that's kind of his introduction. Um, Mark's guys go to Miami in a really interesting scene as they go through his neighborhood with these beautiful houses with giant swimming pools and there's nobody home. Follow us yep. a step too far when they break into someone's house yeah. and read the mail. I'm like, I know you want this scene and there's no other organic way for it to happen, but you guys just flat out broke into someone's house. At least have a shot of the door like being left open so Ajar. that you just walk in rather than yeah. just, oh, they're in a house now. <laughs> I love looking around Bluth development. Yeah, <laughs> Are houses That's in true. the States, for the most part, like this? Are they, are they big? 
They're bigger than here. Not that big. They're bigger. That, that's Miami. I will say they're bigger than here. Like this is obviously the, these are new builds yeah. as well, okay. right? No, it's just because obviously a lot of our houses are like terraced and quite small and. I think that's that's the same like anywhere you go in the UK, whereas it looks like in the You've got to keep in mind that for the most part, uh, we're starting to hit it now, I guess, in various places, but America and to a lesser degree Canada, you know, there's space. It's a much bigger place, isn't it? There's space. Now, eventually you do hit the carrying capacity of it, but England, you hit that a long time ago. Yeah. Like you realize within the certain areas, like I can build 20 houses and make this much money, or I can build 15 houses and probably make not that much more money. Plus, culturally, you guys are willing to accept less square footage. Yeah, it's, it's just a shock to me because I obviously, yeah, that culturally, our setup is normal. The like the houses we were seeing were not like your average house, far no. from it. But I will say that, like you know, whatever that mid-family house is, I'd say Are if most of your houses. If detached? I compared, if oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. If if I compared a sort of median incomed house in Canada mm-hmm. versus a medium incomed house in 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 the UK, yeah drastically different in terms of size okay whoa yeah is terraced housing like a thing other than in cities in the states really or not uh, i can't speak to terraced houses in the states i don't think it is though do you know what i mean when we say terraced housing um i have no idea what that, means. I, that answers the question it's when it's, it's, it's when houses share walls with each other like detached uh, semi-detached or but not not a lot i mean even in like the tightest of developments you'll still have 10 20 feet between each house yeah wow okay yeah See, that, I think the only time I've seen yeah. photos of like terraced housing in America is like in New York, where they were like compact. Well, probably where it was like you know, oh, there's like brownstones. I think European mm-hmm. settlers and things like that. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. When it was like the first sort of thing, so you built what what you knew. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, because like, our houses have been the same since. Sure since tudors like. space is all space has always been an issue yeah yeah mm-hmm. um we then go to oh they try to find they find a guy and they're like hey we're looking we're just doing a survey of people who are 90 days in uh in default delinquency of their whatever and we're looking for so and so so and so and he goes that's my landlord's dog now props to the guy for knowing his landlord's dog's name yeah i'm not <laughs> sure that i would have known that <laughs> But uh, he goes, yeah, he goes, uh, what, is my landlord not paying his rent? And all they can do is say you need to have a talk with him. And it's heartbreaking. But you find his mm. dog got, got a, got, and I'm sure this is based off something that really happened. Like one, not, not, maybe not regularly, but one guy at some point got his dog a, a mortgage uh, because they ran through everybody. Yeah. Um, and so we go back to Mike. Uh, he's got this whiteboard, and this is where we start seeing him play with his, um, sort of state of the union as far as how much up or down his overall fund is. What is the percentage that he keeps changing? Because obviously the value of his the value of his company, his company, his company, okay. his fund. So he owns a fund. So everything we were talking about, he owns. He, one of those. He's controlling the fund. This okay. is his company that he's run. That he's got. Scion is his company. Because I was I was really confused. So when he says we hear about the one four and eight percent, and yeah. he obviously to begin this with, this is a different thing. Cause, yeah, because we're doing the numbers were similar, but then they obviously changed. So he's saying that from a time now, we don't know when time zero is. We can assume, I guess, from when he makes the purchase. Mm. But then this is when he goes minus 9.3%. So the, the, the number that they have. The amount of money they had is Their balance, by, if you want to think yeah, of it, is yeah. minus 9.3%. Okay. So can I uh, jump yeah, in? Yeah, by all means. I'm, I'm looking at you going, <laughs> please jump. <laughs> of course. So. So it's not necessarily separate companies because we do have the Michael Burry's like quote unquote boss figure that comes in. Lawrence. So how it, 
Right. So how it works is you've got this one hedge fund, big overarching company. Think of it like a balloon or an umbrella kind of company. And then under that umbrella of the hedge fund, you have multiple funds within that. Each one has its own pool of money and investment strategy. So you might have under, uh, I'm just going to steal the name here. So Scion Capital is his. So you've got Scion Capital, but then under Scion Capital, you might have, you know, Scion Capital, you know, fund one, fund two, fund three, fund four. You as an investor can choose, do I want fund one? Do I want fund two? Same company, but different fund. And each fund has its own pool of investors, its own pool of money, and its own investor statement. You know, fund one, we are only going to invest in bonds. Fund two, we are only going to invest in stocks. Fund three, we're going to buy houses and rent them out, you know, whatever. So each one can do its own thing. So Michael Burry is running his fund, which in his fund, he can do whatever he wants with his investors' money. But Lawrence, the guy we keep seeing, he's the main guy at the umbrella kind of company where He's not really managing the fund. He's managing the company that's managing all the funds, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a hedge fund, is that literally just a lots of money grouped together that people kind of invest in and out of? So a hedge fund is just, hedge is kind of a misnomer. They don't actually really hedge. But uh, just think a company that invests. Hey, okay. you give us your money, we'll invest it for you. Okay. Excellent. And they each have their own kind of investment thesis. Here's what we specialize in. Here's what we invest in. So if you invest in uh, with us, here's where we're going to invest your money. Here's what we're going to do with it. Oh, like the pension companies that are like, we are we're climate neutral or whatever, because they don't invest in things that will yeah, something like that. the climate. Well, okay. they'll have their own thesis of we invest in this. This is why we invest. Here's the kind of returns we're targeting, whatever. Here's why. If you agree with that sort of investment, you know, give us your money. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go through because we're, we're, we're very much running behind here. Sorry. Because um, every time we do something, George goes, hey, okay. I just don't understand <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's fine. All, it's, it's fine. It's a completely foreign concept to me. Um, so um, Lawrence shows up and asks for his money back, which he can't get back. Um, he's also got a sidekick whose job it is to yell about everything. <laughs> um, we find out that his fund's got $500 million in it. He's paying about $90 million a year in interest or in, or in premium, sorry. And so what so that, those are those monthly insurance payments. So what paying that, 90 a year. What that means is in six years, you'll, you'll, you'll eat up your $500 million. Okay. Right? So yes. if, if, you have a, if you're paying for your car and you have 500 pounds in your bank account, and every year you got to pay 90 pounds off on this car, mm-hmm. Within six years or six months, whatever we want to do. Yeah, yeah. We have no more money left. You can lose the car. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. here's where we get the whole thing where the contracts get voided as soon as he misses a payment. Yes. So your insurance disappears if you miss one payment. So if you run after at the end of the six years, you've got no money to make these payments, the whole thing's gone. You spent okay. it on nothing. So we go back to Mark in Miami, and there's a lady, uh, a, a real estate agent, who clearly specializes in this one neighborhood, and everything's rising. Oh, that one was three fifty, but now it's four seventy, and that one was this, and now it's this. But why are they all having to sell? Is the question. And so what happens is the cycle keeps repeating itself, but with bigger numbers. So the family who was getting before and going three fifty, well, then if you got such a good deal at three fifty, why are you having to sell a year and a half later? What's the deal there? And it seems that a lot of them are, quote, unquote, the word they use is motivated to, to move or motivated to sell. Which motivated bas- sellers. Which basically means they ain't got no money. Right. Yeah. And so uh, he asked for a mortgage broker, and we meet Schmidt from New Girl. I forget what the actor's oh, name is. Oh, I got is. so excited. It's like Mark something, I think. Uh, this is when they That's have, like, where I knew like, him from. This yeah. is when they have, like, the, the three bros yeah. who were there, and the chief one, the one who's like, hey, ah, yeah. 
This is he was in a show called New Girl with Zoe Deschanel. He was great. I thought he was going to be a breakout star, but he ended up just being kind of a, a sitcom guy in the states. Yeah, he kind of like all he does now really is like I see is he like recurs. Uh, he's like a recurring character on Bob's Burgers, but that's that's like he that's did a have another sitcom where he was opposite Cedric the Entertainer in this white family in a black neighborhood concept. So there was a lot of uh, you know uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, Fish Out of Water yeah. sort of comedy going on. Um, I think the trope would usually be a black family in a white neighborhood, yeah. so they flipped it. Um, and so the the one guy offers ninja loans, and while that sounds really cool, what it means is no income, no job. You leave and it no blank. assets, no assets, yes, and you leave it blank, <laughs> and they just go ahead and, and and push it through anyway, because these guys are all getting bonuses for for the you know the types of of loans That's they're putting insane. through. And uh, he said, and they go, look, if 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 I give this guy a loan on a Friday, even with no income, the bank's going to buy it off me by lunch. So yeah, it's that idea of who's getting what. Mark wants to know why they're confessing, and one of those guys is like, they're not confessing, they're bragging about about what they're able to do. And so it turns out that that Schmidt uh, has a lot of strippers <laughs> on his. So he goes and talks to the stripper. And he's getting a, there's a great scene where he's getting a lap dance. He's no interest in the lap dance whatsoever. <laughs> he's like, can you just stop? I'll pay you. And she's like, I, I can't actually I have to keep the facade up that I'm doing the dance. And, um, so he's getting all this information and he, find, he goes, but you can't afford this because you're on, it's like when you buy Disney plus or Apple TV and they go, the first six months are like, you know, four pounds 49. Yeah. But after that, or when I buy, you know, new, new, new broadband and they go, oh, here's your introductory yeah, yeah, yeah. rate. Mm-hmm for the first six months and then it's going to be double that but she's unaware that it's going to double because she didn't read through it or anything and she goes he goes but you've only got the two loans in the one house she goes i have five houses because she thinks she's 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 you know making investments with these things but she's going to lose all five of them okay so there's a this is where we start getting into the predatory loan practices. So here's what we call the ninja loans. And then we've got the teaser rates. And then so the mortgage brokers, the sleazy guy, the guy from New Girl, they get. So as we said, I make the loan to you, Georgia, and then I turn around and I sell it to Ian. You make I make more money selling to Ian if the interest rate is greater. Mm-hmm. So if you're paying me more than $10,000 per year and I sell that to somebody else, I can get more money because, you know, you're paying more. Yeah. So people created these so-called teaser rates where, you know, for the first 12 or 18 months, you can pay 2% interest. But in 18 months, we're going to switch you to a variable interest rate. So as the interest rates go up, so do your payments. So what people were happening, what was happening was people were, and this is what got Michael Burry into, oh my God, second quarter of 2002 everything's going to crash because second quarter 2002 was when most of these 2007 uh, 2007 i'm sorry 2007 uh so second quarter of 2007 was when a majority of these loans were going to switch from the teaser rate to the actual adjustable interest rate which the difference in rate there was going to triple a lot of people's payments so he's like ah second quarter 2007 that's where everything's going to crash so i need to start doing these swaps so the people that were doing like selling these loans and the mortgage and stuff that have the teaser rate and then they switch did they do they not have to advertise the fact that they switch because obviously the people like the, the stripper didn't know that her payments were changing is that not and I guess it depends on how much are you showing these people. Are you bringing a lawyer? What, what, what are you doing, right? Oh, but so if, just, again, if someone's just how telling, much English do they speak? How much I English mean, do they speak? Immigrants the one guy says, "Yeah, targeted. I focus on immigrants." Right? Yeah. They're just. He says they're just so happy to hear I get in the house. They sign anything. So it's just so insane. Mm. So obviously, I, those are words that you've just said just then. I recognize all of those. Like the the 
very willing very to well, yeah. stuff because our adverts for everything yeah. that involve money and loans yeah the little bit at the end will be i will say that i think this amount of time until this time i think compared to america for my time living in america now it was 20 years ago i'll give yeah. you that but even my time living in canada i think britain's much more upfront yeah because yeah. I, I know those words because they're in all of our adverts because at the end of them they'll tell you you can join say bt for like the difference would be on bt in the, in the uk would be like Please keep in mind, this is a what you might call a percentage variable yeah, rate. Yeah, da, yeah. da, da. In an America one, you'd be like, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Percentage variable rate. Please read your things. Right, okay. So ours, ours, I think ours is it's regulated. You, they have to tell you. Yeah. I guess that's, maybe that's, that's... Yeah, but how do they have to tell you? How do they you? have can to tell one, you? Can it be a six-point font thing on the back of page two? I, I will say, you, you hear less yeah, about the sleazy side of it over here. I think. I yeah. think this side is... Yeah, but on the flip side, we, there's an other side, which we'll talk about at the end, when we talk about the climate as it currently is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's not great, but I think there is more upfront about the fact that it's not great. <laughs> um, so, um, <laughs> before Mark and his group buy in, the guy from um, from Succession phones up uh, Ryan Gosling from La La Land and asks him, how are you fucking us? And he goes, look, here's the deal. This is totally going to be the clip I'm going to use. Look. You guys get the ice cream, the whipped cream, the banana, the hot sauce. I get the sprinkles and the cherry. Yeah. You get the sundae. I get the cherry. And he goes, okay, I get my head around that. We're in. Um, the boys, these are, by the same way, the boys, I mean, these two young guys from Brown, was it Brownfield? Mm-hmm. Brownfield. Uh, I think their fund was like Brown, Brown something fund. Yeah, it was Brownfield, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, they phoned Ben several times. Um, they finally get a hold of him on his non I think the sort of conspiracy theory kind of character needed a little bit more development because it just sort of shows up and disappears. Like, it's not ever really... Because apparently once you call him on his real phone line, they're quite okay with it. Um, it, did, it does pan to it saying unknown, though. Yeah, yeah. When, well, when he phones... Yeah. yeah. He says, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, gentlemen, you scared the shit out of me. But they go, but are we right? Uh, yeah. And so they're like, can you get us a seat at the table so we can get an ISDA? And then we hear gorillas. Ooh, ooh. What is that? Is that called... Uh, do, 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 do. Ooh, ooh. Is that Barbara Streisand? Oh, uh, what's that song? Ooh, ooh. Uh, isn't feel, that uh, feel the good gorillas? Feel, feel yeah, good that one. The soundtrack to this film is incredible. Yeah, it's good. Uh, ben comes to New York, uh, and he looks like he's ready for 2020. He's got his mask on. <laughs> um, and so we see this thing on the screen, a Chiron that says, truth is like poetry. And most people fucking hate poetry <laughs> overheard at a Washington, D.C. bar. Not true. That was written by director and co-writer Adam McKay after successfully looking for the perfect quotation to use for this segment. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. So find a quote, make one yourself. That's right. Uh, January 2007, we find out that uh, subprimes are going bad, but subprime bonds are going up in values. And this makes no sense because surely if people are defaulting on loans, this should mean the value of the bond is depreciating. And this is when they're starting to see. I think the fraudulent nature that seems to be very heavily exposed in the rest of the film. Because I'll I'll finish my one sentence and you go ahead. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because I think we're all with Michael. We're all supposed to look at things through Michael Burry's perspective where he's going, but it doesn't make, this is the input. And if I put these things into my machine, this is supposed to come out. Now I yield to you. 
So here's where we start getting into, I don't know if they introduced the term earlier. They introduced the term, but then they really don't give it an explanation. So we get into tranches. Tranches. So in these, uh, in order to sell to more people, these mortgage-backed securities have three levels. You have at the top, you've got the safe level, you've got the medium eh level, and then you've got uh, the bad level. So in these thousands of loans, you know, say the t- average interest rate is 10%. Not everyone who buys these bonds gets 10%. Uh, so what happens is you have these three slices and how it works is uh, it's like if you've got like a funnel and then once the first top one overflows, it flows to the, bo- to the middle one. And then once the middle one fills up and overflows, it goes to the bottom one. That's how the interest payments work. The people at the top get their you know, guaranteed interest rate first. Then once they get paid, then the middle guys get paid. Once the middle guys get paid, then the bottom guys get paid. So the whole, the average interest rate might be 10%, but the people at the top are making 5%. The people in the middle are making, say, uh, 7%. And then the people at the bottom are making that full 10%. So it's kind of a, how risky do you want to get? So at the bottom, you make the highest interest rate. But if one payment doesn't come through, the people who don't get that money are the people at the bottom. So they have a higher chance of missing out. So there are several inaccuracies of this movie that people who aren't investment people are not going to understand it. So it doesn't quite make it into the movie, right? So yes, you have all these uh, you have all these people defaulting, and you would think, oh, the value of the whole bond is going down, but they're not priced as if all three are equal. More people, the biggest slice is the top safe slice, not the risky one. So even though everything's failing, each one is priced separate. So the bottom tier is obviously losing a ton of money from all these people defaulting. But what that means is the people who own that bottom tier are selling out, which causes the price to go down, and buying into the top tier. It's like, hey, I was cool with the big risk, uh, but now this is all happening. So now I want the safer one. So because the majority of the mortgage-backed security is that safest slice, the prices were going up because more people were buying than were selling. I, hear. I hope all that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does, I, I get that. That I understand. I'm going to move us along. Um, <laughs> at which point this inspires Mark and um, some of his company to go to the, the, the regulators. And it was brilliant that she's literally blind. <laughs> she's got these giant blind sort of like she's blind to what she's doing. She's blind to the effect this is having. She can't read the, the numbers as they come in, whatever you want to interpret it as a wonderful metaphor. And they finally tensions get high and they ask her, have you ever rated the tranche less than triple A? And she goes, no, because they'll go to the competitors. This is the conversation we were having earlier. And then the danger of what this means to everybody who's buying in on this being told, but the, we're being told these are triple A. Yeah. And Georgia, which is the name of the character questions what was really weird to hear Steve Carell say in that like angry tone I should I should clip that uh George questions what their what their personal gain is she goes you you guys you guys saints you guys here for the the, the moral good or you guys here because you've got some sort of personal stake involved and um uh Mark is the name Mark Mark isn't it Mark goes doesn't make me wrong and she goes, no, but it does make you a hypocrite. And I'm going, well, he's not lying, though. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not misleading. He's not, he's not, he's noticed that you're making a mistake. Now, is he going to profit off that? Yes, he is. But just because it's, it's like blaming the police because you got caught. Yeah. Just because turning you in has a reward. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. So um, we go back to Mike. Uh, Mike's gone to his board. It's now down to 11.9%. That's, it is minus 11.9%. Minus, yeah, yep. Yeah. Mm, yep. So they go back to, to our boys at Brownfield who want to buy more swaps because they're trying to figure out, is going the wrong way? What does it mean? And they're going, I think it means people are panicking. We need to get in more. Meanwhile, Mark Baum brings Jared comes over to visit them. They all yell at him, and it's great. He goes, "Are you guys done?" I'm like, "Yeah, we're done." The guy's like, <laughs> "Kind of hurt my back," <laughs> which I think gives you the idea of what that world probably is like. It, it wouldn't happen in Britain. Oh my word, it wouldn't happen in Britain. You people, if someone yells, it's like, "Oh my god, what's you, wrong?" With you were just telling me a story about like how like a cashier had been like not very nice and those sorts of things, and you kind of like been... I was kind of got a bit snippy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but my brain was going, "Oh my god," yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm used to like yep. you because i know you but like the fact that no yep um and so everyone decides let's go to vegas and it's like comic-con for (laughs) mortgage bond salesmen uh and and the line the exact line is it's time to find out just how dumb that money is and we we go to vegas another fitting metaphor the house always wins right Mm -hmm. the house always wins um, and so we have a keynote speech being given by this guy, and he felt like some seedy. I've seen way too much John Oliver. It felt like like the seedy guy who's doing like a pyramid scheme, telling them all business is great, and if you do what I do, it's going to be great for all of us, and the mortgage will never fail. And Mark puts his hand up and says, "What do you think the odds are that subprimes will stay? The defaults on subprimes will stay at four or five percent, whatever it was at that point." And he goes, it's highly probable that it will go down. And he just goes, zero. There's a zero. <laughs> and his phone rings. And as he leaves, we pad to um, to Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, the gray man, Sigma Six, sitting there going, that really happened. He really did that. <laughs> and those little bits, like I know there's going to be I some really, Hollywoodization. I, really I love when they tell me this part really happened. It's like yeah. he does it in Hamilton, doesn't yep. he? Where he's like, Martha Washington named yeah. his t- feral Tom. Really did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, then we go to another fitting me- metaphor because um, one of the guys gets a call from his buddy's sister. His bu- yeah. And she's in town and she used to work for one of these regulatory bodies. Uh, what is it? The, the standards? The SEC. And the SEC. Securities and Exchange Commission. Like These are the big people. Like if you're familiar with Arrested Development, these are the ones who arrest... <laughs> <laughs> Oscar, Oscar uh, is it Oscar Bluth or is Oscar the brother? Oscar's the brother, George Bluth. Yeah. The first yeah. Episode. Like if if you're doing anything dirty, any insider trading, yada yada yada, uh, the SEC is the ones who come and find you and expose you. They're the ones who show up in Wolf of Wall Street. They're the and, investment police. Yes. And if you, and then we find out, but you know, Karen Gillan. Doctor I Who. Oh, Amy I got so excited. There we go. That's all good. I knew that one. Nebula, I guess, in other countries, but here, Amy Pond. Amy Pond. Yeah. Um, the girl who waited. I uh, wasn't waiting. She was going around saying, here is my CV, my resume. Uh, I need to get hired at one of these big banks. And they're like, isn't there a rule against working for them? This is the Ofsted thing again. Yeah. Isn't there a rule about this? Shouldn't these two things be kind of not in the same area? Yeah. And she goes, no, there's no rule against that. <laughs> And by looking at the shock on the character's face, it's telling us as the audience to go. And she looks. We should really. She says no. It's not illegal. And she she's like so. Over and, yeah. yeah. And she's so. She's so vain and also a little bit flippant about it. <laughs> but also her character is like it's almost like she's like boy crazy yeah. at the same time, mm. which is a nice metaphor. Um, we go back to Mike, who's now at minus nine. It was a lot happened in Vegas. He's now back to <laughs> minus nineteen point seven percent. 
and his underling asks if he might be wrong and he goes i i, I everybody who's wrong thinks they're not so yeah i guess so but this is where he keeps coming back to it should be yeah. the machine's doing this this is what's supposed to come out the other side mm-hmm. we go back to vegas <laughs> and while they're there maybe just as they're no, they're still in Vegas. Yeah, um, they pl- or they're, they haven't arrived yet or something. Charlie plans to bet against the double A tranches. He says no one's thinking about this because we know the double A is full of crap anyway. They're not really they're double not A. Actually double A's, yeah. So no one's thinking to bet against the double A's because they think that branding still has value. Yeah, we know it doesn't. And then I think it's one of them who look at the camera and go, "Yeah, not even Bomber Barry thought about doing this, we, but we did. We really yeah, yeah. did do yep. this." Uh, and we have it's a mom. The glasses. Yes. Who I think was, was my, my, my preferred character of the two. I think I liked him more. Just for what it's worth. Yeah, maybe. Um, there's a montage of deals and celebrations. And then finally, uh, Ben stops them. And you can see both sides in this because the boys are going, we just sealed the deal of our life. This is why we came here. But Ben's going, but stop looking at this as though these, each one of these things doesn't have a story behind it. For this to occur, this means that the you know people are losing their homes, their jobs, their retirement savings, their pensions, and he throws a stat that for every one percent of unemployment grows, forty thousand people die. And I says, think the movie needed this. This is what you're dancing for, and I think there's a human element to it that does need to happen. I, I think for the most part, I found this Ben's character because the one who walks the tightrope, he's he's an outsider. The one who walks the tightrope the best is Mark. But Ben telling him stop dancing, that was a needed correction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it puts it in perspective. Because up to this point in the movie, the whole thing is us event against them. Hedge funds versus investment the funds banks. versus the big banks versus mm. no one has really brought it down. Like, because we're talking about evictions and uh, people losing their home. And not, we don't even say that. We talk about defaults. The one faults. How many people? Are, no one's talking about people are losing element. their the, homes. The one moment we got was he wasn't even a homeowner, but was that guy who was renting and just yeah. put it, and just put his kid in school. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, yeah. and, and all they can do is say, just call your landlord. And they come back to it as well, don't they? They do come back to it. Yes. Um, and then um, we find this guy, and I think it's probably one of my scenes of the movie. Uh, the guy who's referred to as a real solid gold asshole. <laughs> <laughs> who's the CDO manager and he he represents the consumer but he's but he's set up by the bank he gets paid a fee by the bank all these things happen for the for the bank yet he's supposed to be looking in the interests of the other guy yeah and that's never going to happen and even it's time to go he says hey i'll make you a deal you tell me how much you're worth i'll tell you how much i'm worth and Carell just walks to his guys and says I want every piece of anything that guy has touched because this is where he finds out what the bubble is. He finds out that for, you know, uh, $20 million in, in mortgage debt, there's a billion dollars worth of all sorts of stuff floating around it. Mm-hmm. And that's when he realizes it's all going to come crashing down. So can I, I was, I, I, was pa- kind of sh- I was pausing to give you a moment. You're okay. <laughs> all right. I know we're kind of strapped for time. Personally, I don't like the example that they did in the movie for this. The, Cause then we get the, is this the Selena the Gomez gambling. thing? Yeah. Yeah. The Selena, Selena Gomez game. I don't like how they did that with, they, sh- I think betting was the wrong way to frame it. So let's go back to our example earlier, Georgia, I gave you a hundred thousand pounds. You're going to give me 10,000 pounds per year. Instead of me selling that to Ian, I can then go get a loan from Ian and say, Hey Ian, will you give me 
£50,000. If I don't pay you, I'll give you the stream of payments from Georgia. So that's the collateral. So if I don't make the payments to you, Ian, then you can get Georgia's payments. So let's say I do that. And then I turn around and go to Ethan. Hey, Ethan, can I get 50,000 pounds from you? If I don't pay you, you can get this, this stream of 10,000 pounds per year from Georgia. And then I turn around now promised two of us that same revenue stream. And then I go to, and then I go find Liam wherever he is. And I go, (laughs) Hey, if I, can I get this much money? So it's a stream on and on, on the same stream of income is being promised as collateral in 20 other equations or in 20 other deals. So if Georgia for some reason stops paying her mortgage, which again, we've got these predatory interest rates, we've got people, we've got ninja loans, people with no income, no job, no assets, uh, home values are about to seriously drop. So even the cash flow from selling the house after the eviction. So for every, I think it was, everything was 20 times bigger. So Georgia's uh, 10,000 pound stream of income. Like I could have, uh, let's see, 10,000 pounds times 20. What's that? $200,000 worth of loans that I can get based off of that. So if Georgia stops paying, that's hundreds of thousands of pounds of stuff that just disappears. And with CDOs, there's clauses in there that you can't sue me uh, if I don't pay you. So if I don't pay Ethan and he decides he can't come after me, his only recourse is getting Georgia's money. So (laughs) if Georgia stops paying, Ethan can't turn around and sue me. Hey, I loaned him 50,000 pounds. He didn't pay me and his collateral was worthless. He can't do that. His only recourse is the collateral. So if people stop paying, everything falls apart. That's insane. Okay. So yeah, it's much better than the uh, version given there. Um. We the next morning we see everybody get into their respective cars, including Karen Gillen and this guy go to different and she's doing the walk of shame in the same clothes as she was yesterday. So literally getting into bed with the big bank is the metaphor. But also all the the cars represent how much money these people sure, are she's in a taxi. She's, but it's not just those two. It happens oh, sure. with all of the characters. So I, I, I think that explains the reason why you'd make the jump. Because if you work for the big bank rather than if you work for the regulatory committee, the 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 SEC, mm. which one are you going to become a millionaire at? Yeah, you know what I mean. So you, it would make sense to to leverage your position at the SEC if you're interested in financial gain. Yeah. Not to mention the banks and big insurance companies actively headhunt oh, for sure. people from the SEC. It's like, hey, look, well, can you tell me how you got your investigations work, and uh, so I know how to yeah. dodge all this? What back, do you guys look at? Back to my teacher. Where do I? Back to my teaching example. If I drop in an interview that I'm an examiner, yeah, that makes me much more attractive. If I were to drop that I was an offset inspector, yeah, oh my word, they'd bite my arm off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, as they get out, before we leave Vegas, there's a shot in the distance of a giant billboard of both kids in the hall. There's a nice little. Uh, if you want to clear for takeoff, there's one there, and there's one for the for the show of Martin Short. If you think about it, it's a literal big short. <laughs> just saying um mark, mark goes home and he talks to his wife and he talks about how everything's falling apart and then he does talk about his brother yeah and his regret that his first um offering was to offer money and he breaks down and it's a wonderful scene it's shot mm. really really close but it's handheld 
but it's so close it's it's intimate but it's yeah. overpowering how close you are because you have it, it, it's a moment of sharing that he hasn't done yet so that's really powerful then we cut to mike drumming in his garage uh christian bale injured his knee just before filming started and mckay wanted to use a double for the drumming and swimming scenes but bale insisted on doing the scenes himself mckay finally bought in uh, but when he shot the drumming scenes he brought in two doctors for the duration of the shoot ready to perform just in case anything happened to bale uh bale as far as i know he didn't know how to play drums before this film started it took him huh. two, two weeks to learn how to play the drums sufficiently to play the True. intro of that song yeah now if you're an actor i mean i mean a bunch of ryan gosling sitting there going oh two whole weeks to play the drums because this guy famously <laughs> learned how to play the piano in like three months yeah but like like to like a, an excellent level oh uh, the ryan gosling's piano playing is much better than christian bale's drumming christian bale's drumming is all right i mean he's, he's also playing a pantera song you know what yeah. i mean like whatever uh he then uh emails oh he tells his wife everything's okay and you see a little bit of doubt in his eyes he's not quite sure yeah uh, he emails the investors and tells them he's restricting withdrawals until further notice. And then we get told on the screen, everyone deep in their hearts is waiting for the end of the world to come. April 2nd, 2007, New Century files for bankruptcy. And they go, it's happening. And then it turns out it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And why isn't it happening? And so the boys at uh, Brownfield figure it out, or at least their theory. Let me know if I've got this right here, Alex is they're not going to show that the funds the bonds are failing and change the valuation of 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 this they're going to admit that it that it's that it's falling it's falling short Mm -hmm. pardon the pun until they've unloaded their this onto someone else so they can get shorts themselves that will pay them off and sort of rig the game in their advantage so they don't fail Essentially, yes. Yes, I know. Because <laughs> with stocks and most bonds, they're traded every day. So the price is, you know, whatever it's trading at. But when you have these big things like this, there we, we go back to the ISDA. The, we didn't really talk about it, but basically... Uh, when you buy stocks, you're buying it through a market. There's a middleman. You have the stock market, your broker, whatever. There's middle people in there. So it doesn't matter who you are. As long as you have an account, it's whatever. You need the ISDA because when you get to this high level, it's not anonymous people trading it's it's ethan and georgia they're tra- they know who each other are they're doing the trade they know each other and to get a seat at that table you need to sign that agreement so a part of that is because you don't really have this free-flowing market who determines the price well in this case the banks get to determine the price and the banks also are the ones determining the price while and this price determines who gets paid so they're kind of dragging their feet on changing the price so that they can now, here's where we get into hedging, but we never actually use the term. They can kind of cover themselves before the price changes. So what they're ending up doing in the background here, they don't say it, but they're buying swaps on the assets that they own. Yep. So that way, if they lose money, they get paid because they are, they're buying swaps from other banks. So they're just waiting for suckers to take it so they can, yeah. <laughs> so so- um so the boys at brownfield go to the wall street journal because the wall street journal is the economic newspaper uh lately they broke the vince mcmahon story which is kind of (laughs) huge where he was using his own company money to pay off women who uh Mm -hmm. yeah allegedly is the wall street journal the one the post is inspired by uh i don't imagine the post is probably after the washington post 
Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but they won't. So they asked this guy, and he goes, look, I can't go over them or else I'd lose every content I've ever had. And you went, even the like the news, the people who are supposed to be in charge of this, they won't go after it because of their own personal gain. Cause, and it, <laughs> but it's very human. I've got a wife who's going for a master's, and I've got kids who I'm trying to save up money for for college. But you're going, but who's supposed to, like, these every group who's supposed to be reporting on this or regulating this or doing something on this all have a personal stake in the game and no one's doing their job because no one is above it and fully unbiased everyone is involved in some way or the other because everyone's going to take a personal hit and that's yeah. the yeah there is that thing because it's you know if the guy from the Wall Street Journal does report his job and reports on this then all of a sudden no one will talk to him and his career's over yeah so but it's what he should be doing, but would you do it? So it's a great yeah. bunch of moral ambiguity. Um, yeah. But then it starts to tip. Everyone wants to buy Mark shorts. And he's like, what? Uh, Goldman call Mike, in fact, and they say, look, we're ready to change the valuation on your sh- on your, on your your shorts, on your swaps. And he goes, oh, is that right? Or he, this is where he spells it out. Or have you found someone that you can unload yours on so they can whatever? And he goes, I don't know what to say about that. He goes, yeah, I think you just said everything. Mar- so can I uh, yep, yep. just fun fact here? If y'all have never heard of the movie Margin Call, uh, Margin Call follows a single bank. Now they don't say it in the movie; they don't say who it is. But here they are very much saying, "Yeah, it was Goldman Sachs." Uh, but in Margin Call, it's it's the story of the whole movie takes place over twelve hours. Over one analyst finding out essentially, oh my god, these mortgage-backed securities are worthless, and we've got billions of them on our books, and it's how the bank responds. So I made a note here specifically that if you want the full, because here we kind of have a jump. Everyone's like, what's go- <laughs> Everyone's like, what's Goldman up to? Uh, or like, what, like something happened. Because that's what we're about to get to where, uh, uh, where Steve Carell goes to talk to his boss or the girl from credit. So if you want a full picture of the kind of whiplash of what's about to happen here, I made a note. Watch the first hour and 35 minutes of this movie, then go watch margin call and come back here. And <laughs> then are. you get the full, then you get the full story of what Goldman just pulled. Essentially they pulled an all nighter and offloaded all of their crap in one, like four hour period right oh before God. it became public. There you go. The Goldman universe. <laughs> the golden cinematic, cinematic universe, universe. There we are, <laughs> um mark is called to his boss's office and i think this is it's probably similar to what you said earlier this is the umbrella under which markets to operate as fund Am so I right? this is something sort of different yes <laughs> but in this case it's more of like a sponsorship thing so if you do the ISDA, you're able to trade, but a lot of times you have to trade on someone else's ticket. Essentially, you have to get vouched for. Kind of what the boys did with Brad Pitt. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so essentially what's happening is the, and we're, the lady's going to explain it uh, at this point in the movie, but essentially they're buying all these swaps where, hey, if these things lose money, you got to pay me. And they're like, yeah, we're about to go rob these funds. We're about to like, we're about to get rich off of these people. And they come to find out that the people that sold them the stuff is Morgan Stanley. And Morgan Stanley is who is the sponsor for his fund. (laughs) So in the event of your sponsor going bankrupt, your stuff for your fund is on their books. So think of it like this. If you're on a checking account, like if you're a 16 year old and you're on a bank account with your, with your mom and your mom goes bankrupt, it doesn't matter that it's your account. 
it's you and your mom's account. So in bankruptcy, yeah. they're going to take your money, even though you're not the one who went bankrupt. So they're holding all this thing like, yeah, we're going to bankrupt all the big hedge funds, not bankrupt, but we're going to get a ton of money off these uh, banks and whatever, because we've got these swaps. The people on the other side of the swap is their business daddy, as yeah. John Oliver would say. So if they go bankrupt to pay them, if Morgan Stanley goes bankrupt to pay Steve Carell, Steve Carell's company loses all of its money because uh, their business daddy is Morgan Stanley. Yeah, and they've got $15 billion um, that they're going to have to pay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, not, and he's like, tell me it's not more than four. Well, 15's a bit more. Is that not like a bit of a loop, like an endless loop, though? So if they, I guess they'd have to, they'd be other things to pay, but like if, say, the last 15, whatever, is what they've got, but that's what they need to pay Steve Carell, but it's Steve That's what Carell's they're trying money. to do. That's what they're trying to figure out. Right, that's what okay. all these banks are doing when they're saying, hey, they want to buy our shorts. Because if you're the bank that has to pay $15 billion, but you can go to the person and buy the swaps. Yeah. Well, now you're the person that owes and has to get paid by. So you can offset so, your own. Out. Yeah. Right. So if right, I can okay. buy the contract off of you, now, oh, I have to pay myself. Oh, you know what? I'll actually forgive myself for this debt and now I don't have to yeah. pay anybody. Right, okay. So um, the team gets together and trying to figure out what the answer is. And Mark fights with his team about when they sell. And it's interesting because at this point, the team really kind of almost disappears. And it's Mark and the one guy in the who chews gum really, really emphatically. Yeah. Yeah. About when do they sell? And I'm kind of with the other guy and not with Mark on this one. He's like, look, you could lose it all. Yeah. Do really, it I get it. But yeah. It seems like, like Carell's in danger of like losing his whatever and you're like why won't you sell and it, it does pop up very shortly thereafter uh, there's a cute scene i don't want to spend too much time on it brownfield tries to sell his uh sell their stuff but they can't they don't know how to do it so they have to contact brad pitt who's on holiday in england doing it in a pub he gets some, <laughs> he gets some abuse hurled at him that's that feels pretty accurate yeah if, you, if you, you're either a banker or a drug dealer and if you're a banker get out that is that's accurate to yeah. an english pub yeah. yeah if you're on your laptop in a pub you are you were asking for especially, trouble. Especially in 2007. Yeah. 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 I, but uh, you're American. Now I know. <laughs> yeah, you're American. It's not helping anything out. No. Um, so it turns out we get the kind of the coda of the film here. Everybody's starting to pay off. Um, we see uh, Dr. Michael Berry uh, sending an email to Lawrence saying, I've deposited your $489 million in your account. You're, you're welcome. welcome. And that's your profit of 489 yeah. Sorry. So that's how much you've made on it. Uh, Jared made $47 million, and he said, look, I never said I was the hero of this story. And then we cut to Mark, who I think probably is the hero of the story. Yeah. I think. And it's interesting, that, that choice, that, that moment where you cut right from that line, you do go, the focus goes to Mark. Mm-hmm. Not to the two young guys, not to Ben. It goes to Mark. Uh, I should mention the question was asked by uh, Brownfield about, oh, no, I have it coming up, my bad. Um, we see the world is starting to fall. Uh, the the boys do ask Ben, why did you do this for us? And he said, you wanted to get rich? Now you're rich. For the record, Mr. Rickett, if you're out there, I want to get rich. <laughs> just that rich. Just if you're out there. I just want to, not even like mega rich, just like. A million or two. Yeah, just let me buy a house. I'm good. I would be. Ironically, wouldn't that be the perfect way to sort of pay me off for this? Let me buy a house. I would be so happy hmm. with like a hundred grand. Yeah. Um, and it turns out by March 2008, Mark Baum is the only big fish who hasn't sold. And he starts, uh, he says, anyone who knows me knows I don't have any issue telling someone when they're wrong. And I'm like, oh, Mark and I share an opinion. 
Um, or a character trait. <laughs> and they, Yeah. <laughs> and they start sort of, uh, I think I'm less abrasive than he is, I hope. Um, it depends how, how strongly you feel yeah, about maybe. it. You know what, it's nasalism, I'll give you that. You Get uh, on Twitter, everyone. Find your, <laughs> make your voice heard. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're debating um he's debating with like his um other who i think is supposed to represent uh mark greenspan mark greenspan david greenspan what's greenspan's first name alan greenspan alan greenspan thank you no that's a different guy no no but I, I, he's not he's not that guy but is he playing a real life person or is he just an embodiment a fictional no, representation is. of that wall street type you're talking about uh like the debate scene yep Okay, no. So Alan Greenspan, Alan Greenspan was the chairman of the Federal Reserve. He so comes different on, guy. He not comes a on later. Guy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so he's he's debating someone. I don't know if it's a real life person or not, but he represents yes. traditional Wall Street. Pom- he was the CEO of Bear Stearns, Pomposity. one of the biggest uh, investment banks. And they're saying, "Does it scare you at all about you know, would you, what would you do?" And he goes, "Oh, probably buy some more stock." And then as they're having their debate no one's really listening because they're just all following in the in the worst 2007 tech ever where it's all just like basic like text messaging when you had to hit the button like one four times to get a b to show up or something like that now you know what this scene is this scene is the scene from fun and with dick and jane where jim carrey's on the news and as he's talking saying oh globodyne has never been stronger it's going great and as he's talking the stock's going it's to going zero down, yeah. that's what's happening here <laughs> I saw, oh, the ceo yeah i would buy more of my own uh, company I stock saw, of course we're stronger than ever i saw fun dick jane once it was terrible uh, <laughs> uh it was jim carrey i don't know why i went to it um <laughs> so there we go and the time they've been talking uh, bear stearns bank is down uh 30 plus percentage to which point they ask him, would you still buy? And he goes, yeah, yeah, sure I would. Yeah. And and uh, Mark just goes, boom, because he made a reference to it being an atomic bomb. Uh, and then we go to Brownfield, who smuggled themselves in to, um, was it Lehman Brothers? Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers, yeah. And like you can see, kind of what looks like a regular sort of movie, but it's all, I mean, you, saw, you see a tower of Red Bull. You see someone has spray painted LEH 0.00 to suggest that they are officially bankrupt out of business. Um, there's this guy saying, do not talk to the press as you walk outside. Do not walk to the, talk to the press. Um, and that's kind of where we leave them. Um, Dr. Mark Burry's typing his closing statement, talking about how he met his wife uh, on Match.com, I think it was, by yep. being just painfully honest about everything going on with him. Um, we see, the, and as he's speaking, we have these cutaways to all these other sequences. We see the guy from earlier uh, who was living in the house that the dog yep. had. He's now living out of his car with his children. Yep. And not this like pluckety, like they're going to pull themselves together. Yeah. We leave them in a yep. state of distress. Mm. Uh, we see uh, Schmidt at a job expo looking humbled. Yep. Um, Michael's decided to close down the fund and then he goes to his whiteboard and writes in red ink plus 489%. So if they were at 500 million. Well, we saw it. They were at his whole, or we told, or ah, the boss told us in the beginning there, his fund was what? 550 million. And so he's got to be around. Earnings were 430 something million. Yeah. Yeah, or that might have probably just been from one bank. Over so. over two billion dollars in profit, four hundred eighty nine percent. Yeah, so he would have been if it was five hundred thousand. The math would have to be that he would have to come around two point four billion. 
Wow. Rough, rough it, math it in my lot. head. It was uh, billions. I'm not, I'm not afraid to do the math on the mic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lehman Brothers deserted. We said that. Mark realizes the banks knew the taxpayers would bail them out because he, he said someone was coming out of the White House. Jeremy Strong says, well, some of them will go to jail. And Mark finally says, sell. And they sell. Uh, and then the voiceover tells us the good news is though Mark was wrong and we get like Neil Young's keep on rocking in the free <laughs> world and like the walls coming down everyone's being taken off the jail and he goes just kidding in the end yep they blamed immigrants they blamed poor people and even teachers how do I get in on this I didn't do nothing <laughs> only one how guy dare you want a house I know only one guy went to jail and uh, once we they oh. basically said he was a scapegoat as well because he was only doing what everyone else was doing. Because well. Mark's fear was once we sell, we're just like the rest of them. And he goes, no, we're not. That's the thing. If I, if I make a profit off this, how am I yeah. any different? But then he sells it. And so the end notes tells us $5 trillion was lost. Eight, I think it was 8 million jobs lost, 6 million homes lost. I think and it was 4 million... I think it was 4 million job. So this is just in the four months immediately after Yeah, uh, it was like oh. 4 million jobs lost, uh, $2 trillion in retirement assets, pension funds, all that and home value all lost. Um, and then say 4 million unemployed, 5 million evictions, uh, slash foreclosures, something mm-hmm. like that. And Mark never said, I told you so. Now this came from his wife. I wonder if Mark, if something happened to Mark, mm-hmm. So that's interesting. He probably just didn't want to talk about it. Maybe. I'd bet. Maybe. Uh, Michael contacted the government to see if anyone wanted to interview him about how he knew it was going to happen. Nope. Uh, he was audited, though, four <laughs> times and questioned by the FBI, and he now deals in only one commodity, and he does it because he shut the, the fund down. Any any trading he does do only deals in one commodity, water, which scared the crap out of me because mm-hmm. uh, this guy seems to be right about everything. I mean, yep. there's only one reason you put that statement in there, and that's to scare people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's powerful, isn't it? And then recently we find out that there's been something that's been floated around in similar circles called a bespoke tranche opportunity. Basically, it's another name for a CDO. Dun-dun-dun. We're in the end game now. And we are in the end game now. Uh, i tell you what, Alex, why don't you help us out? We need a random word, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh I'm going to say Volker. Wait, Volker? What yeah, is that? I, the, people have, the people have to find a gift that has to do with this. I feel that <laughs> Volker might be too limiting. Okay, okay. Uh, I tell you what, to, to stay with the theme, let's say TARP. Was that TARP? Yeah, T-A-R-P. T-A-R-P. There you go, folks. TARP. <laughs> Enjoy that. Uh, There's some fun gifts, to be fair. That's for okay. Volker? No top. Okay, I was like, there's no, <laughs> like, there's no way. I'm gonna upload a GIF of me going, "What's a Vulcan?" and just hold my hands up, and that's all I'm gonna be able to find. I heard Vulcan at first. I, and I was I, like, oh, okay, um, let's talk about the money, money, money fitting for this film. Fifty million dollar budget. What do we think it makes, Georgia? Two fifty. Two fifty. Ethan. Uh, two seventy. And Alex. Oh, I'm going to be more generous. I'll say 475. Wow, you guys are all doing that. Like, you guys are playing like the housing market game here. It's all going <laughs> up and you're all overvaluing. Who was the lowest? Was it Georgia? Yeah, 133.4. Yeah, that shouldn't this surprise me. This is not me. like, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a movie about money for yeah. crying out loud. I'm pretty sure Vice made nothing. Like, this got this some, shouldn't surprise me. This did get some buzz, but it's not, mm. it's still never going to be that. You know what I mean? Like, you guys are talking like, especially 400. That's like 
blockbuster. That's like A two four. That's like A two four indie movie. It's a very popular movie, but it could be just because I'm a finance guy and I hear about it a lot. Uh, Can I get a minute for? Yeah, you go ahead. So just something I had prepared here because there. This is another bit of almost I don't want to say misinformation, but definitely uh, some omission there. So we talk about. I just wanted to spend a minute on just outcomes here. So the bailout, it was called a bailout, but we get, uh, so what happened was it it was TARP funds as what the bailout was troubled asset relief program. So it, the movie makes it seem like the government just gave them free money, right? Is that the impression y'all got? To be fair, this is how the media presents it as well at the time. Well, of course it is because big bank evil. Yeah, exactly. So So (laughs) George and Ethan probably wouldn't have been, thinking about it at that age but but yeah from where i was at this point yeah this is how it came across so the tarp funds were actually loans and from let's see i pulled this up from 2014 most of it had been paid back and the u.s taxpayer which a lot of news outlets like to say oh the taxpayers bailed them out the u.s taxpayer earned 15.3 billion dollars in interest and earnings from the tarp funds because they were loans uh, we've also have tightened much more tightened mortgage requirements. It takes, and I can tell you this from working in banking and lending, uh, mortgage re- requirements are much more stringent and tighter now. So these ninja loans would never happen today. And then we get something called the Dodd Frank Act or the Wall Street Reform Act of two thousand nine, which very much restricted a lot of the shenanigans that caused all this to happen. And then the last thing, which is what I, I tried to kind of sneak in, is what we call the Volcker Rule. And the Volcker Rule, which was named after, I believe, a senator, uh, the Volcker Rule is that banks cannot make investments on based on things that they're really they're a part of and they're running. So this whole thing of, oh, I'm going to buy you out or I'm going to invest in these super risky assets. Basically, banks can't risk their own money doing super risky stuff and therefore put themselves in a position to go bankrupt. And then the Federal Reserve also has the right to do annual stress testing of any bank insurance company and uh, mutual fund, anything big that does investments. They get stress tested every year of could they survive uh, if, you know, and they stress test, what would it take for these guys to break? And those things are pretty stringent and happen every year. So I just wanted to give a minute for kind of what we have now to kind of prevent this from happening again. Excellent. Uh, I will say, George and I were talking before we came on about kind of what happened. Even uh, the one thing that has happened is I just feel like these res- these tightening things have happened here as well, though. Mm-hmm. And to the part where it, ho- home ownership feels inaccessible. Yeah. Feels We've like, had to downsize. Feels like it's a massive. I mean, I will say this though: you've got, mm. you've got a foot on the ladder, and so yeah, yeah. there's equity that can be released. But if you're trying to get in for the first time, I mean, there's all these schemes, and scheme is a word. A scheme scheme is a word that's used over here as a positive. I know scheme has a very negative connotation in North America, um, but even a lot of those have been limited, and the uh, what used to be. You know, do I believe in zero percent mortgages? I don't know, but do I f- a five percent mortgage for a first time buyer? Probably, but only those are just barely coming back. But because the house prices are ho- so high, even five percent isn't acceptable it's, it's to not, most yeah. people. So, and the cost of living is so high, saving mm. even five percent is. So I don't know if it's any. I know in Canada it never really went down, um, but it does feel like uh, home ownership is a privilege of a certain class now or age or age yeah or people who have the ability to stay at home in perpetuity mm-hmm. while while they save that up 
and that sort of re just recreates the status quo. Yeah. Um, I have I mean, more thing I was going to say. Oh, or you have people who buy second, third, fourth homes as investment properties, yeah. and you got to. And there might be a question about the morality of that because that's just actually increasing demand. As I say, for like context, artificially, you are you head of English. You're like a well paid job. I do okay. Yeah. Things, you do well. Yeah. But you you're renting and can't get out of that system because of student loan and rent and all these sorts of yeah. things. Not easily anyway. Yep. I'm quite young. Don't really have any debt and live at home with my parents rent free i'm very lucky that i'm in that situation work three jobs and can't get on the property ladder neither of us can so at the moment so that, that is the extremes of the situation and i suppose this is why when the system went bad in the states this is what made it so appealing for people who really should have been told you can't afford a house mm-hmm Mm. And some people there clearly should have been told you can't afford a house. Now, the irony is I don't think I'm there. (laughs) I think I'm in an area where I'm like, my income suggests I can afford a house. In fact, the mortgage I'd be paying would be less than the rent I'm paying. But the accessibility point for getting my foot on that ladder is, is that first step is way too high. Yeah way too high and if there's a way we can make that more accessible so i don't think we found the sweet spot yet where it needs to sit no i mean i'm not i i shouldn't own a house now in the position i'm in but because i've changed kind of my where my livelihood is at the moment but like a year ago i was and the question is with the cost of living crisis with the pandemic of all these things it feels like in this country the housing market's going to enter a point where actually it's going to go from sellers uh, having all the power to sellers having very little power mm-hmm. and it's going to switch to the buyers but because of reduced um inventory in, well, inventory also reduced income yeah. uh it's going to be do we're we going to have to go to a point where we're going to have to relax the restrictions again so that people can access mortgages yeah. and that's the big question and i think i've heard rumblings from people who are friends who are mortgage advisors we might see a loosening it was never at the, at the, at the position that that what we're looking at today was no in the states there's no ninjas <laughs> but the idea going Rumblings how much money do you make percent, yeah. how long have you worked at that job okay yeah. we feel you're probably okay for a zero percent with this thing yeah and then there'll be some safeguards in place the guarantors there and things yeah well yeah. i can't do a guarantor so that's about that's my thing i can't no, have a third no. party come in and sign on for me no if i did only- i'd be in a house today yeah. yeah. The only way that I can that I can foresee myself having a house in the future is my girlfriend's dad has a second home because he's in London. Yeah. yeah. And he's basically was like, I know you guys are gonna struggle in the next couple of years. She has a master's. I mean, and that, even then it's a problem. That's really gonna be interesting because it's gonna be very yeah. tempting. The London market, what you could get for that. Oh yeah, exactly. Ooh. And it was like, This is this can be your home if you want, because I have a flat. And I'm like, okay, that's one thing. But then it's everything else that gets added on top, and that would be that'd be difficult without paying a mortgage. Let alone if I was also having to pay a mortgage. Yep. All right. Let me. So, oh, so go uh, ahead, and then we'll last word on it. Then we're gonna jump back. It's gonna be quick. Game. So I just want to plant a bug in y'all's ear. This is my personal issue. So from a comment Georgia had made earlier, it sounds like you guys are having something similar. What's happened in the U.S. But since COVID started, everyone's expecting inflation. So what's happening with the real estate market, at least over here, is you've got investment firms like BlackRock and all the other big ones that are buying single family homes in the thousands so that they can turn them around, turn around and turn them into rentals. So not only do you have all these people that want to buy houses, well, now you've got, you know, the big money going around. And that's when you said all they're only taking all cash offers. Yeah, that to exactly me sounds like my, an, my issue that's an then, investment yeah. firm. It was, yeah. So I feel like 
I, this is my personal opinion. Most of the housing crisis shortage of people not being able to buy homes could be solved. You pass a law that no entity can own more than say a hundred houses. Like you throw that or units, you throw that in there that changes the market drastically. I will say it is in the discourse because our, even our old prime minister who was a conservative, which is, this isn't a very conservative take from to have, but the idea of people needing be, needing to be able to afford a first family home. That was a big thing. People aren't getting on the ladder, and he realized that. And his successor, I'm hoping, will also realize that. It's not necessarily in our politics to do so, but I think this is the part where we're not – I mean, even our, our right wing is nowhere near the right wing oh, of the God states. So, our right wing is very – is like almost – Centrist. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's very centrist. We're just – like our, our, our right wing is just right wing of your Democrats, I would say. <laughs> and I would say just <laughs> – um so there we are let's go back to the end game uh, awards five nominations one win anyone want to have a guess at what it might have been up for mm, cinematography uh cinematography screenplay. not one of them screenplay was one of the noms it's uh Go ahead. Actor for best actor for i want to say steve carell or supporting it because that's the thing it did get supporting actor but not for carell oh i would say bail. uh bail for all of his twitchy um, stuff right okay, yeah, yeah makes no, sense. i'd say uh brad pitt oh no brad pitt was anywhere near this um also up for best picture best director and best editing so there you go ethan um it does win one and it wins one for best adapted screenplay Mm -hmm. it's it's very clever yes uh who would you cast as who oh i don't know um you're probably what's his face that figures it out first but bail no but uh yeah yeah i'm definitely i'm I'm, is it burry yeah, Doctor Michael yeah. Burry. I'm yeah. I'm the guy with the glass eye. Yeah, yeah. You're okay, him. Ethan's definitely one of the two guys from 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 Brownfield. Yeah, I'm okay the with one, that. With all of the glasses. All of the glasses. Yeah. He's the better one. Yeah. Oh, the bad guy from uh, Umbrella Academy. Okay. I think I think because he's an ex trader, we got we got to put uh, we got to put Alex in the Brad Pitt role. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say either Brad Pitt or Steve Carell, just because I have. Honestly- Carell's the one I want to be, but I'll take I'll yeah. take being yeah. Honestly, it threw me off. All so I watched this movie for the first time yesterday morning, and I was thrown off for like the entire day. I was, I, getting, I was, dump, I like, was oh getting messages God. from like I'm 15 minutes in, and I already got so much to say. <laughs> <laughs> like I was in a funk all yesterday afternoon. Like, Good lord! because like, you were telling me this, you get a, this is the stuff that you get educated on. If you get a degree in finance in the U.S., a third of everything you learn has some. <laughs> Some sourcing back to 2008. So I knew all this stuff was happening, but to see it played out brought yeah. it to a whole new level. And it's just like, oh my God. Like the the biggest thing that killed me was the scene with the uh, the mortgage brokers. Like, oh yeah, I don't even put income. I just go ahead and submit it. And you know what? If I do that on a Friday, they buy it Monday morning. I'm yeah. sitting there like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Julia, Georgia. Um, hmm. I don't want to go to the, the, the facto female role because it really isn't one of this film. No. Um, you can join Ethan in, in his little hedge fund. Yeah, there you go. You guys can sort of do the, you can be you can be the hedge fund peeps. You yeah. can decide if you're the the more serious one or the, or the more playful one. <laughs> that ca- that kind of makes sense for like our very young clueless dynamic. And Liam would have to be. I mean, we'd have to teach him all the words, but Liam would have to be um, Ryan Gosling. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the slime ball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, or 
Or Liam's the slime ball and Ethan's the assistant who keeps getting told to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. To be fair, that's more like your mind's dynamic. Yeah, but I'm not cool enough to be. I'm not cool enough to be Gosling. I know sure. I'm not. I know I'm not. I'd love to do it, but I couldn't get away with it. Um, uh, the villain problem. It's the bank. It's the. It, it's the financial system, isn't mm. it? Um, it's greed itself. This was the first Adam McKay film not to feature Will Ferrell. If you had to put Will Ferrell in one of the roles, where would you put him? Well, oh, definitely the assistant guy who keeps being told to shut up. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you tell him, boss. Shut your mouth. <laughs> like, you, I could see him playing that just dejected, just, oh. It's a small role, but almost like Pitt's a small role. What if you made him mm-hmm. the Schmidt? Oh, what if, what if he's the guy who's like, I, I don't even look where they put income. I just put that on a Friday, my Monday. They've <laughs> paid me these strippers somehow. Yeah, like, he's got the, like, the glasses he there. wears as Mufasa as well in like, Austin Powers. I could say that for him. <laughs> Austin Powers? Yeah. I just showed my wife that yesterday. Will Ferrell's not an Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah he, he is. is. He's he plays Mufasa. Yeah. I'm he so, didn't just say Mufasa. Oh, say Mufasa. Mustafa. 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 Yeah, Mustafa. Yeah, Ethan said no, Mustafa. Not Mustafa, no, Ethan. Not, <laughs> Muf- not, not Mufasa. That was Simba's dad. And not Mustafa, because that's the planet yes. in, uh, in uh, Star Wars. Eye of the high ground, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do we have here? What should this film have been called? Not the big short, because the longest time when anyone, I heard anyone refer to this film, I thought it was like, I don't know, like one of those like Freaky Friday or like... <laughs> 13 going on 30 type films like where someone like but was really smaller than that was really big like because of because i don't know Uh, ethan what what was that dude that's mine that's my title just a several a's screaming okay um how to succeed at banking without really trying (laughs) that's mine no just why we need regulation Regulation. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to get people into the cinema. <laughs> regulation, a thesis. No, nothing. I used to have to teach media regulation. I'm like, yeah. Wait, I got it. Yeah. How to crash a market. There we go. <laughs> um, what do we have here? Um, whose story is it? Ooh. America's Housing. Uh, I think. Broad. I got a hot take. Yep. I, I think it's the story of. Uh, the renter we see that we have in the uh like living out of the car uh, at the end i, I mean I, I, my you heart bleeds for you but you, come on mm. really well but just like you don't focus on him but it's the story of almost how we made how we got this guy homeless like what happened in the background to just completely destroy his living situation he got his kid in like say he's an immigrant because i think they hinted at it but he comes in he gets a house he's able to afford he's got his kids in school uh, you know, things oh. are starting to go well. Then he, one day these people knock on. on his door. He, did, he didn't buy it, though. He's a renter. Yeah, but he got a house. He's had some. He look at that house. It was an upgrade from wherever he came from. Well, there's, all, there's also a bit where you go. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be on the side of the big banks, but do you look around and go, I probably can't afford this? Well, no, but he says he can afford it because he's paying. He's paying, he's paying his, his rent. rent. It's, it's, yeah. it's the landlord that's yeah. not paying. Mm-hmm. All right. So he uh, finds a place he can afford. He's doing well. Kids in school, everything's well. And then we're showing the background of how everything went downhill. Two scenes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I said it was a hot take. It's a hot take. It's a hot take. Uh, I'm going to go with Steve Carell. He's yeah, the who, he's the one who was an arc. No one else is an arc. He becomes like the moral heart of the story. Really, Gu- guys who want to be rich become rich. That's not an arc. Um, you know, M- Matthew, sorry, Michael Burry proves that he's right. That's not an arc. No. The arc is. 
here's a guy who can't come to terms with the with the depths of his of his brother's death and is able to sort of use this as a vehicle by which he finds some sort of justice and is able to talk about it and reconnect with his wife yep says i can get on board with that says um I'm looking for the sequel where where Brad Pitt comes and kills the two guys he made rich. Uh, <laughs> musical inspiration song that should have been on the soundtrack that wasn't. Money, money, money. I, mean, I was about of, to say the Apprentice mm, theme. There's tons of money, 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 money. <laughs> okay. If we're doing money songs, I will go with Jesse J. It's all about oh, the money, yes. money, yeah. money. I bet the, the next one of that is "We Don't Need Your Money, Money, Money." Well, I can, we can cut the different characters. That could be that could be Brad Pitt song in it. <laughs> oh, what's that one song that it's like? I don't want to. It's like the way it has the cash register sound and take your money. Was it by Paper Planes? Uh, uh Paper Airplanes. Yeah, Paper Airplanes. All I want to do is do is <laughs> and ching, take your money. Awesome. Good song. Yeah, nothing else jumping into my head on this one um what else we got here roll of women georgia take it away i mean it's pretty pretty non-existent i think it has to be non-existent but yeah i hear what you're saying oh, but there's no reason why it, any it, i mean obviously because it's uh, they're all based on real people they're based on real people yeah so it's difficult but if they weren't based on real people there's no reason why like one or both of the two the brownfield guys couldn't have been right but but as we've said but because they're it based is on real so people, we have to yeah uh the one woman runs the um Bit the Steve credit Carell department does, yeah. almost or the, the risk the steve carell yeah. thing and he comments on you know mm. how, and he does seem to be like excited about family he's like it's yeah. really really exciting and she doesn't seem to be that be that up for it because you know she's professional and all that stuff um i think it's more a statement about his character and i'm not criticizing hers no, no, no. um but she's in a position of authority and it's not questioned you know what i mean like yeah, you know yeah. so i think she's all right uh we do see um a strong female character but only briefly in 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 carell's wife yeah uh at may yeah and then of course amy pond waits for the for the right banker to come along and spend the night with yeah um yeah it's a story that's almost left of women mm. the stripper yeah um i said though in the sense that she had five houses you know what i mean like she's sort of but she didn't though did she because she, she'd been screwed screwed over well she did she'd have at that time she had five houses <laughs> <laughs> um she was the landlord yeah oh she's so shouldn't she say, shouldn't say I have five houses and my dog has one as well. Uh, I mean, that would have been great if that was the lake. <laughs> um, That's my head cannon now. Yeah, I, I had five I houses, mean, but I had to give I mean, can, one to my dog. Oh, because, and there's the one woman who works at Goldman Sachs at the start. Yeah. The mm. one who does most of the talking. Yeah. Um, for the most part, this is a movie where most of the men are, are, are villains. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So... No, but I mean, it, it's just like if we said this film seems overly white. Well, it is because the people in positions would have been. Yeah. I would have to get of, of the one guy at Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Um, but, oh, and of course. And, and the quant. Yeah. Oh, and the, and the, what was it? The, the, the asshole at the sushi restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, favorite character. Mm. How is it not Steve Carell? It's got to be Steve Carell. Yeah. I mean, he's the heart and soul, and the one who makes me laugh is Ryan Gosling. You know what I mean? He's really the only one you can root for. I, I do like Bale as well. I my favorite character would be is probably Ryan Gosling because he makes me laugh because the Steve Carell character is so. I did. I didn't believe him in this one. Oh really? He's very I neurotic. Really but okay. I, yeah, I think I'm used to him like this. Yeah. That's fine. 
Like it's, not, it's not Little Miss Sunshine. This isn't like yeah, God's yeah. here, Corral. Because I've seen him do so much. Ironic for, you know, because he was in, you know, whatever it was, Almighty. But Eleven Almighty? Yeah, that's it. Because he, does, One he of the Bruce's. either does, like, The Office, Evan Almighty, stupid, shticky guru yeah. from Disfigable, yeah. or he does this. Yeah. And this was like, Welcome to Marwin. For me, wasn't as good as that's fine. that. Yeah. Uh, do we get did we get yours, Alex? Yeah, Steve Carell. And Ethan, do we get yours? Sure. Uh, I'm torn between Carell and Bale. I, 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 but yeah. I'm to to be different. I'll say Bale because he he's great as well. And if I, I mean, I mean, Brad Pitt's excellent in this as well. I mean, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like we, we we weren't short on on powerful performances in this film. It was just mm. who do you, who do you want? Um, best moment, best element. Let's start with Alex. I, I got to give it to the casino with uh, Brad Pitt. Because up to that point, you get the, oh, yeah, you're either on one side of, oh, yeah, these guys are about to make all this money and the, or, oh, they're going to make all this money. They're going to screw over the big banks, these big banks. We're going to get all this money, whatever. But then and then you got the guys. Yeah, we just closed this deal. Yes, we're going to make all this money. And Brad Pitt turns around and really stops all of that and puts it back into perspective. Like, hey, yes, you guys are going to get rich. But here's the thing with banking. You guys are going to get rich because all these people are going to lose their houses. People are going to lose their jobs. So many people. So just that moment of just sort of grounding it back to reality of this isn't just dollars. I'm just going to ask you a very small personal question. Could you relate to that speech at all? Yeah. Okay. Because there's always, it's very easy to reduce everything to the dollars. It's very, it's very easy to ignore everything else of just, oh, we're just here to make money. We're doing this deal to make money. We're doing this to do whatever. We got to cover ourselves for this. It's, it's a lot harder to do this realizing that, oh, you know, it's really to say, oh yeah, we're going to foreclose, you know, that we're just not receiving the money, but it's a lot harder to say, oh, well, this is a family we're about to put on the street because they couldn't pay. And we actually put them in this position by giving them this loan they couldn't afford because we didn't do our due diligence and underwriting. We caused this problem, put them in this position, and now we're kicking them out. Yeah. Uh, Ethan. Uh, It's Carell's performance. Um, Throughout it, but specifically the scene where he's talking about his brother and like just the 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 travesty he feels of being like he wanted help and I just gave him. Oh, this is the scene when Mr. Tommy. Okay, yeah, Yeah, and he's like, and I just offered him money. Like it's such a both of them. Both of them do a fantastic. She's she's the solemn one. She does a great job holding it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's able to ground him almost. It it takes takes two actors for that. It does. It's really good. Very different from uh, Crazy Stupid Love when they would share their scenes mm. together on that. <laughs> Georgia? Uh, the kind of like nods to the fact that they know they're telling a story. Oh, yeah, that's good. Like, <laughs> I, I just really like that that actually happened or we didn't actually do it like this, but we're going to go with it. Like The bit where they just looked in the barrel of the gun and just sort of make you realize. Yeah. I remember I saw this. I was so excited. I contacted a colleague of mine who also taught media and film and went, you have to watch this. <laughs> it's so clever. Uh, I'm going to... Yeah, I think I'm going to pivot then and go, because I was coming down that line. I'll go then for my favorite scene, which is Steve Carell and the asshole at the sushi restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's, it's such, we want to know how dumb the money was. We didn't see how morally corrupt the money was. Yeah. And he's not Schmidt, who's just getting a couple of grand every time he signs one of these mm-hmm. loans. This is like your like end level boss character in this sort of situation. And the determination of, I want everything that guy has touched because he is the personification yeah. of that 
heartless. Like the kids who are dancing, if left unchecked for 30 years, they turn into this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- there's there's mine there. Uh, a grumble. A grumble. Sorry. Sorry, me? Yeah. Um, the with the the film itself, the fact that I didn't understand a lot of it, it didn't it wasn't accessible enough for it's, me. I was gonna think that, yeah. Um that is there's the biggest issue is that they've made a film about something that you do have to know something about before you get into it, and they've done a job at well, trying to inform you, but it wasn't enough. There's several barriers. Me. The first barrier is um do you speak this economic language? Yeah. The second thing might be were you around at this time? There could be a bit of a, 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 of, yeah, a of a time gap. Knowledge have you already got? Mm. The third one's going to be: Are you American? Yeah. And I think all three of these actually play play into it. And yeah. I think um, I think there's a chance where you could go. I can deal with one, one, one or two of those barriers. Three's quite a big hill to overcome. And I know from the people I know who have liked it, who have seen it, got back to me saying I didn't like it. Generally, your complaints are their complaints. Yeah. So. But in the in the grand scheme of things, the fact that these numbers can be so big and it's all like money that actually kind of it does exist and it doesn't exist at the same time because it's all wrapped up in other people's money that also doesn't exist and does exist at the same time because they set the prices for the things so they can make it whatever they want it to be. Like what is the actual cost of brick and mortar is versus what is the price of a house and these sorts of things. And yep. on a ground level like that, frustrates me because it's the old adage about why is art the one that's uh, like art pieces are used for money fraud is because you can't put an upper limit on how much someone will pay for art because it's so subjective whereas it feels like in this something that's very real that you should be able to put a set price on has been extorted to the point where it was inflated out of imagination okay yeah. uh Ethan. I, th- there's definitely like a cultural barrier and an age barrier. Uh, I'm very glad Alex was here to explain because st- this is like the second time, and I can't. I understand it, understood it a bit better now this time. But with the help of Alex, it's definitely like made my understanding a lot more greater than it was. But like, I get yeah, just th- the cultural barrier is the main thing. But like, it's I didn't have this issue with Vice because Vice isn't as complicated. Okay, I haven't seen Vice, but yeah, yeah, that's more of a, also that's more of a singular character study, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Alex, <clears throat> so there's there's a thing in high level economics and finance where eventually it all becomes play money. It's all cool to talk about. Yeah, there's a hundred dollars, hundred thousand dollars, even a million dollars. But once you start talking about billions and trillions of dollars, most people just click their brains off. And I'm included in that. Like you get to a certain dollar amount and you just start going, Oh, this is just monopoly money. Like, okay. What? Yeah. $2 trillion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of money. Got it. They stop thinking about the number and just replace it in their head with a lot of money. And that makes this, it's just a cognitive dissonance that happens when you get to just big numbers. And I think that's a big thing, but my, I don't like the, the ending. But not so much the ending of the film itself, but just sort of the text crawl they give us because they really leave it doom and gloom. Like, oh, yeah, no one got arrested uh, except for this one guy who, you know, did something that we all did. So we arrested this one guy. Really, nothing changed. We bailed everyone out. Woohoo. The bank, like they almost leave it as like, yeah, the banks won. Nothing changed. I would have liked like maybe 30 seconds or maybe part of that part of the text crawl. That's like, oh, okay. Yes, we had the just explain. Here's what changed. Yes, this was all horrifying. Yes, it was, you know, in evil, greedy, whatever. I would have loved a bit of, okay, 
if you watch this whole movie and got disgusted, good. Because here's what we kind of did to make sh- to kind of prevent this from happening again. I wouldn't have left it doom and gloom. Uh, my grumble is also about the ending. Um, it's that we had three sets of main characters who each have their own ending. But all three kind of needed to be explained to us how they won. So we've got the the young guys who's just, we, we want to unload. Okay, you want to be rich? Now you're rich. And we didn't see him again. Really outside of them wandering around. I forget how the order was. Was that after they were at... Um, I can't remember. Lehman Brothers, I forget. But anyway. And they get their sort of comeuppance there, I guess. But still, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a wasteland. Uh, then we get... Um, we get Mark Burry in his little office who just gets to walk out and write a, a, a number in a different color marker than the others. And I'm like, that's all right, but is that really an emotional journey? I don't. And the hard part is, how do you write an end of this that feels like it's a satisfying end to a story? Because you can write like all the emotions about I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. No, no, it's going to it's gonna happen, it's going to happen. But then one day, it's just the news tells us everything's better, and he goes, oh, okay. And then he just gets a phone call and writes a different number. Now, I, I don't know how you can do that any differently. I don't. Well, it's but, the mic drop. It's yeah. him writing up, I was done, and then leaving for the last time. Gone forever. I guess like, I guess boom, I was right. I guess it's that email. Maybe it would have been better if it was a face-to-face scene. I don't know. And then Steve Carell's bit. What is winning? What is winning to him? Because he has the scene with his boss or the woman who works in the credit department or whoever that person is. About, She's like you know, a wrist department head. How what they're going to do is going to hurt them and the other side of it. But, well, you know, you're going to get rich as a result of this. It's going to hurt them. And I get that it can't be a super clean, neat thing. It's not going to bring his brother back. Far from it. But what did winning mean? He just goes ahead, yeah, go ahead, sell. And not that he has to be really excited about it. But I think that the audience, it was just, we were just told they, w- you saw them, and now you've won. And he went, I guess I've won. Oh, it's difficult because they all win by becoming rich in the end, but we've just spent the whole film with them being so against people being fraudulent and making money off of other people, but they've just done exactly that. So it's difficult to be on the side of them winning through that. I think you need it. You know what? You've already got a storytelling device in this. You do. It's Jared. So you could have had Jared almost walking through all three of their offices and sort of explaining their end game a little bit in that smarmy Jared way, because he's really charismatic. And then that leaves me with this bigger, I'm happy at the end of it. Now, if Adam McKay's goal was to come through with the, with the doom and gloom and crawl, I guess it leaves you from from not being able to do that. But I'm like, I want to feel, because really I'm not invested in the American financial crisis. I'm, I'm, I'm invested in these invested (laughs) in these characters that I've spent the last two hours and 10 minutes with. Yeah. And I think I need that. And then there's probably a way you can work in your doom and gloom at the end of it. But I, I, I don't Yeah, I guess yeah. that was it for me. Uh, I, if there was a way to kind of, and I hate to say this, but if there was a way to kind of Hollywood up the ending a bit, not in a way that changes it, but just in a way where you can give me the information that feels more satisfying as far as I've just seen a narrative. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, age game, age game. Uh, which button is it? Never want to hack my age. What's my age again? I think I found the button. Let's all play the edge game. Uh, Ethan, what what you got? So we've got the big three and then a a cheeky fourth. And uh, we start with Christian Bale. Oh. I am so bad at ages. He's the first guy, yeah. Yeah. Marker boy. Um, 38. 46. I was going to say 37. There you go. 41. Oh, that's me. Yay. <laughs> uh, next, we have good old Steve Carell. Oh. 47. 
I'll go 46. 48. Oh, 53. Wow. I was going to say 53. I know. You guys went young. You still won. I know, but I was going to say 53. (laughs) I didn't. Uh, We have Ryan Gosling, the goose. Mm. Uh, 32. You and I are picking the same numbers. 31. 36. George of the 35. Wow. I think he's older, yeah. Mm. And then finally, Marissa Tomei. Mm. 43. 50. Say 39. Uh, uh, Ian is the closest. 51. Oh, closest. I'm one off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, technically, you're still the closest. That is close. Um, Tyler, me or Georgia in the end, I guess. It's close. I well, don't usually win these things. No, well, never do well. Well, actually, I, I was You've really bad. A lot I was bad for a yeah. long time, and I've, 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 I haven't been training every day. Just like, <laughs> just <laughs> flashcards and just naming. Oh, okay. oh, okay. I mean, to be fair, I've never won. There we go. Hey, <laughs> over two. There we are. Uh, what do we have next? Next, we've got the critics. Uh, this is a film with an eighty-nine percent Rotten Tomatoes score and a seven point wow. eight IMDb. So qualified uh, for all the legit reasons. wasn't a wasn't an anniversary anything like that. It just is, is supposed considered to be. Well, it won an Oscar for best adapted screenplay. Those things there tend is, yeah. to score in the in the very high eighties or low nineties on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the good, the bad, and the Ebes, Georgia. What we got. Uh, so we've got Peter Bradshaw for The Guardian, who says, I came to the Big Short in a state of anticipation, only to be baffled at how smug, laborious, and self-important it is, trying to combine Gordon Gecko sexiness and anti-banker correctness. You probably don't get the Gordon Gecko reference. No, I don't. But that's I, from a film, I get it. That's from a film called Wall Street, which is okay. all about greed is good. Yeah. Yeah. He, it's one of the, I think he wins an Oscar for it. He's right. fantastic. Uh, then we've got Te- Kenneth Turin from the Los Angeles Times. He says, a funny, energetic, and self-aware film that manages to entertain without diluting the complications or the gravity of its subject matter. Okay. Uh, we've got A.O. Scott from the New York Times. He says, a true crime story and madcap comedy, a heist movie, and a scolding polemic, The Big Short will affirm your deepest cynicism about Wall Street while simultaneously restoring your faith in Hollywood. I don't know if it restored my faith in Hollywood. But. No. And then finally, because I thought it was funny, we've got Nigel Andrews from the Financial Times who says, a big, clever chortle full of sardonic insights into a time of woe. There we go. Hmm. Um, I put up the fleece as I'm known to do while Georgia looks up the Patreon backers. Is the big short a great film, good film, okay film, or poor film? 45%. The number one rated uh, sort of segment went to great film. So, you know. Hmm. Best film ever. Every now and then I kind of hope for something a little bit aberrant to that. But the films we choose are naturally going to kind of fit that criteria, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's next? We have the Patreon backers, our friends of the podcast. Georgia, what we got? Uh, first up, we've got Cheesy. With a fish on a bike. He says, <laughs> the first time I watched this film, I couldn't follow it. I don't know if it was in the right frame of mind or possibly lack of sleep. But this time I watched it on my own and thought it was brilliant. I could go through the individual performances, but I feel every cast member was fantastic, giving the impression it was ad-libbed and making the whole thing seem more real. The story and jargon is definitely helped by the fourth wall breaking and cameo explanations and the cutscenes of pop culture let you know what else is going on at the time it's horrible to think that these people all made a ton of money from others misfortunes but you can't help but root for them especially steve carell as mark bomb i was gonna say we talk about the actors or the people involved in it actors i think no, i think he means the actual real life people made 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 money off of it oh yeah yeah, yeah, but yeah. like yeah, then mentions uh, he shows that you can truly act here and shows a man who actually feels guilty about making him this money knowing he can't really do anything to help them Okay, that was cheesy. That was cheesy. Cheesy is always good value. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got Hermes. 
who says, with the cast, the script, the fourth wall breaks, its humour and the poignant subject matter, this masterpiece is near flawless. Seeing firsthand the 08 financial collapse take its toll on my family during that time, particularly my own father, whenever I see this film, it always reminds me of two things. How awful some people can be and how incredibly reassuring art and film can be through it all. This one goes beyond the typical I love this movie categorization and firmly cements itself in greatest of all time status. Cannot wait to hear Alex's breakdown and everyone else's thoughts. Uh, hey. Uh, thanks for sharing a little bit in there. That was that doesn't have to be done. And, uh, and I, I appreciate hearing that because when we talked about those barriers and one of them being nationality, uh, I think it also means we also lose the ability to know someone who is affected by it yeah. in the same way. So mm. uh, thank you very much. Uh, then we've got Nate the great who says this movie is quite stunning because it takes something i imagine will be quite boring and makes it engaging and entertaining throughout most of the movie it's a very interesting look at the behind the scenes of what happened with the housing market crash christian bale was most interesting character to me but everyone does a great job the script is fantastic at no point do i think it dragged this movie holds a dear place in my heart it's one of the few i've seen in theaters with my grandma wow Mm -hmm. imagine want to see this in the cinema Mm. Yeah, good, good, good. I'm just imagining the gasps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it wouldn't have been. Uh, I mean, probably it's 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 when it gets nominated for best picture and it gets re released that people probably get get their uh, yeah. awareness heightened to it. That's probably how I heard about it. Mm-hmm. Next up, we've got Reverend Bruce who says, I have very little time to write this, so let me hit the highlights. I like the movie, but find most of the characters incredibly annoying. Steve Carell and Christian Bale, but especially Jeremy Strong. His haircut was pathetic, and his attempt at doing a New York accent was even worse. Come on, dude, get a dialect coach. The New York accent is one of the easiest American accents to do, or perhaps he should listen to the BFE episode on the town, where, can tell, <laughs> where we can tell him how to do an accent. I regularly enjoy ripping Jeremy Strong, who plays an entitled Brack, kendall roy on the hbo succession look at this looks like this movie gave him a good start all that said i have a master's degree in business but the details of this movie make my head spin so i'm looking forward to the bfe discussion but i well remember this american housing crisis it affected many people in real life who literally just walked away from their homes what a massive debacle That felt quite jarring, that juxtaposition between his end statement and, yeah, and, nah, and the musical. Cool, bro. And the musical drop. Hey, that, that, that's the Reverend Bruce sound effect. We, it gets played when he says stuff. So All there these we people go. losing their homes. Hallelujah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's what it is. Uh, thanks a lot, Reverend Bruce. Appreciate, again, the personal insights. I'll tell you what. I, get, I like to self-promote. I do. I really, really do. Reverend Bruce, he loves to self-promote as well. He loves to drop his episode of the town as much as I love recording it. So there we go. <laughs> Oh, was that everybody? That is everyone. I okay. did have another one on there, but it was just Reverend Bruce making sure he'd actually put his number on. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <That's Okay. one. laughs> so let's take a look at the fledgling fandom here. I don't think it's too many. Uh, we started off with Poet Laureate of the Podcast, Dwayne Smith. Dwayne Smith. Who said, I've seen this, but I didn't really like it. I found it hard to follow, and the fact it was all true just made me angry. It just didn't click for me. I ultimately lost interest. I chose not to give it a score. I'm sure I'll enjoy the pod a hell of a lot more, though. Uh, Dwayne, I would just say, if you've watched it all the way through, get in contact with us with a number even if it's not a pleasant number that's that, that that's that's your viewing dude that's your experience so go mm. ahead and still throw that up there i would say mm-hmm. everybody okay with me when we saying that definitely yeah all right uh we've got shy burgerfreund who says this is definitely a good film and very rewatchable but it gets too preachy at the end 
Uh, we got Canadian. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, we got Canadian Cat, who goes, I constantly reference this film when talking about economics at work, not to mention the current housing crisis in Canada. It's almost like reference material at this point. Uh, Carlo goes, oh, boy, another one I haven't seen. Shrug. Dude, what are you watching? <laughs> um, recast the podcast. They absolutely love this movie. Shoot the flick. Say it's fine. Uh, I, I, uh, a Twitter account by the name of Orson Welles. says says it feels like it runs 23 hours long my response my response was your namesake has some explaining to do regarding long run times to which point he's gone ha (laughs) touche and and, and then followed the pod on twitter so well done thanks a lot for uh for, for chiming in and that is uh oh we got one more Capital Games and Movie Club. That's quite clever. Capital <laughs> Games and Movie Club says, I get why people like McKay's movies. They talk about topics that people may know nothing about. Oh, sorry. They talk about, th- about topics that people may know nothing about in an entertaining way. Problem is, if you know what the topics are, it's not entertaining and comes off as, you dumb pleb. Here, I'll tell you slowly with pretty pictures, okay? Was that your reading of it, um, Alex? Did you feel no. like you were being talked down to at all? No, I don't. I don't feel like it's being talked down to. This is definitely a subject where you have to have these scenes explained. So, like, look, I've got a degree in finance and I had in preparation for recording this. Don't think I just knew half this stuff. Like I did a little bit of research, just kind of refreshing myself. Like, unless you are actively a Wall Street banker, like this stuff is over a lot of people's heads. So and not, not to mention they changed the names of a bunch of stuff just to make it sound more complicated. Oh, it's a credit default. So it's a loan. <laughs> but like they try to make this stuff complicated so that you pay them. Like that's the whole point of a lot of this stuff. So no, I don't think that you kind of have to have those explanations. Um, what do I have here? I've got that's the end of the of the uh of the Legend fandom, I do have a couple of last critics to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, David McCandless has a visual blog uh, called Information is Beautiful. Deduce that while taking creative license into account, the film was 91.4% accurate when compared to huh. real life events, calling it, quote, a shockingly truthful film with, quote, very little dram- dramatization or fakery. Movie critics with backgrounds in finance also commented on the film. Many agreed with the public that the big short was entertaining and engaging, but also terrifying. Glenn Kenny reported the film accurately got the message across that even though the lives of characters were not interconnected, their stories were. And uh, finally, there was a gentleman called something. I, oh, this is the gentleman who has um, Steve, Steve Carell plays. So Mark Eisman said he respects Carell's portrayal, but that it was not 100% true to his real character. Speaking to the Globe and Mail, it's Canada's national newspaper, Eisman said, quote, eliminate my sense of humor and make me angry all the time. And that's Steve Carell's portrayal. It's accurate enough, but it's not really me. Which, yeah, if his character's got a flaw, he's just angry all the time. Yeah, He's so neurotic to, like, almost a flanderization but it's Steve Carell. Like, I don't expect any worse. Uh, if you like this film or episode, you would like what Margin Call was already suggested. Wall Street, I would I would recommend. I'd say Wolf of Wall Street as well. It sort of shows the others. It shows you the other side of the of the sadistic ones. And you get Margot Robbie not in a bathtub, but there's a fam- there's a famous scene with her in that one as well. Yeah, um, that was that was really close to like something Liam might do. That was like a Michelle Pfeiffer. Sorry, that was, that was like a Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> Um, so there's that. I'm trying to think of any episodes we've done, which um, I, I don't know. Big ensemble casts. Love Actually. Well, it's about as far away from Love Actually as yeah. it gets. 
Yeah, um, but no, there's lots of good stuff out there. Uh, now it's time for our ratings. Our ratings. Uh, Georgia, do you want to start us off with a rating here? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'll go for it. So I looked over at Ian once we'd finished watching this, and I think you just laughed at me because my face must have said it all. I did, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I couldn't access it in the slightest and i know they tried and actually the bits in which they tried to teach me things i were probably the most entertaining because they were talking on a level i could understand and there is some there's something to that i think um i mean the and the fourth wall breaks got me as well i thought they were funny um but again because they were kind of going yeah this happened or this didn't happen and they were usually about bits that i could pick up on um the entire subject matter as a whole i kind of said but i did my grumble like big big money like alex was saying once it kind of becomes monopoly money like and play money i as a concept i just don't understand i don't like it i don't i just it i just don't it's not me um and then couple that with the fact that i didn't think it was Steve Carell's best performance i didn't think I, I just wasn't interested. I just wasn't interested. And they tried several times to hook me back in and I tried to get hooked back in, but then I went, they're still talking about money and I don't really care. And I think because I've got that cultural and age barrier and I, it, is, it is devastating, but because it's a film and even though I know it's based on real things and real people were displaced by this and all those sorts of things, my brain goes, it's a film. It, and because I then didn't care about the characters I was being shown in the film, my brain goes, I don't care about this. And as much as I've really enjoyed having Alex to actually un- explain it, I shouldn't need someone with a degree in finance to go, this is what's happened in this film mm. for it to be entertaining to me. And for those reasons, I am going to give it six out of 10 or minus six on the percent board. <laughs> <laughs> and Ian had predicted me correctly. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Um, that's what I was going to say. I mean, well, something they could have done more was they could have shown you more of the human element, more of the guy with in the, in the house of his kid, yeah, or, or more speeches about this is about the things that we put our trust in. We're supposed to trust the bank. We're supposed to trust, um, you know, the institutions that hold into account. Like this is this is where we put our our My futures, our careers. Our weird little flashbacks, like so, the flashback to Steve Carell's brother, and the flashback or the or the side plot with the man and his child, yeah. and the bit with the alligator in the pool because no one could afford these homes, like. Sure. <laughs> They were the bits I liked the most, and there wasn't, but there wasn't enough of it. Not enough alligators. Not enough alligators. <laughs> there we go. He, uh, really quickly, we didn't do this. Uh, anybody's best role ever? Not Steve Carell's. Mm. I mean, for me, it's Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Mm. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Uh oh no! I think his, his performance in Blade be- Runner is still top tier for me. He's better in Drive. He's better in La La Land. Yeah. La La Land. Yeah. Um. He. What about? Um. I the- forgot the guy's name. The the sleazy mortgage dude who was in New Girl. Uh, oh I mean, Schmidt! I haven't seen. Yeah. I, haven't I, seen I hated any- the character, but I think the performance was good. His performance is great, but I haven't seen any of our yeah. films. Is the problem? So nah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, he's my favorite part of New Girl. So you know. Uh, yeah. But th- then you have like years to develop this character. Uh, so I thought he was excellent. I'll say that he'd be like an honorable yeah. mention of someone who, at the end of a year, I'll go. He was really good. Why does he do m- m- more films? Even if he's just I playing wish he was that in more guy. Stuff. He's a good character actor. Yeah. Uh, he, he knows he's naturally unlikable and that's where you want to start because <laughs> uh, it is like within moments like, yeah. oh, I just want to punch this guy <laughs> um, Brad Pitt obviously has done much better stuff he's yeah. very good in this but he's got a long catalog of mm. stuff that's better and then uh, Christian Bale I mean you, the prestige is where, where the line starts and ends for prestige, me prestige 
me- uh, was it the mechanic, not mechanic, um, machinist, all that, like the fighter, the fighter, yeah, yeah. exactly, the fighter. Um, so there we go. Uh, so Ethan, your rating, please. Even with like all of the sort of cultural dissonance, like disconnect, because I was like what seven, eight when all of this happened. I still I enjoy like the dialogue is just so snappy for me and every every performance I love an ensemble cast and uh with like from the editing perspective it's so purposely shit I love it and the like it it takes so much talent to be able to do that but still make the editing great the soundtrack's fantastic performance is like I said great story is engaging and I don't feel as stupid watching it as I thought I might Especially with like the additions of the fourth wall breaks, and it makes me feel a bit more invested. Uh, so I'm going eight and a half times that Steve Carell found inconsistencies in the Torah out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I had you at eight, so there we go. Nice. Um, excellent. Uh, Alex? Uh, I guess I'll leave the actual rating to the end. I was trying to think of something clever. Give myself, a, buy myself a little bit more time. Buy yourself some time uh, to talk, and it's what yeah. I do. <laughs> Overall, I don't want to grade it on the basis of just the connectivity with the audience, because that's naturally going to change with every movie over time. Different generations, different age groups are going to connect with the film differently. So I'm going to completely discount that in my review. Um, They're tackling high level finance. And to me, yes, there is a disconnect with, yes, they have to teach you. Yes, this is high. But to me, it's almost like Goldman Sachs buying their own swaps back. It's like, yes, they have to spend a a little bit of time and explain stuff. But then again, if they didn't do that, the movie itself probably wouldn't have been made. It wouldn't be accessible. Certainly without the explanations, no one would be able to watch this movie. So I would think those kind of cancel out. And I do love that they got cute with it. You have the Anthony Bourdain thing, Selena Gomez, and they actually brought on a world renowned uh, economist. We didn't really talk about it, but I think, I think some of the, I think they could have had maybe one or two more of those. And then I think the examples could have been done, could have been illustrated a little bit better. But I mean, I give them credit for having the gall to tackle it and to go for it. Cause otherwise you can't make this movie. So they try to make it cute. The performances were good. The story was good. Overall, I thought it was a great movie. There are some disconnect issues, but personally, I, uh, I I'll discount that. So and this is coming from a finance perspective. So I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to say $8 billion worth of credit default swaps. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I had you a full point higher than that. Uh, I'm going, I'm back and forth on it. Cause there you go. Uh, yeah, I'm sticking with the eight. Okay. Um, it's, it's a really clever film and clever films are kind of my wheelhouse. Um, the stylistic things they did. Um, I love, I love the, you know, here's so and so in a bathtub to, to talk about this. Mm. And here's Anthony Bourdain, and then I felt about the third one. Maybe the trick had run its course, or maybe it was the weakest of the three, and that's the last one you want to see third. Yeah. And it really was the weakest of the three. And I'm also going Selena Gomez. Maybe she was a bigger deal at that point. And it would have been like, wow, Selena Gomez. I don't think she was. It's only, what, six years ago that this yeah. came out. She, I don't think she was. She was Justin deal. Bieber's ex-girlfriend, right? So there's something but, there. Mm. Yeah. Share a birthday, though. So yeah. 
So, I mean, Anthony Bourdain's, I think, is probably my favorite of the three. Um, yeah. That being said, you know, it was fun. It was accessible. Uh, I feel it does do a good job of educating the audience to a point where you can appreciate the film. Now, I can't tell Georgia, you were accessed enough. I can't, <laughs> I, I, I can't make that argument. But for me, in my viewing experience, I always, I've been raving about it since, since I've seen it for, for taking those things. I mean, and, and the metaphors, and I'm going to include the fourth one being the Jenga Tower, because I thought that was an excellent one as well to understand the premise, because that made it really, really simple for me to sort of get that this whole thing's teetering and yada 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 the acting performances are all really really strong i will say that due to the natural it means a real life event that took place over multiple years that does require some sort of fragmentation in the storytelling the only way we got an idea that passage of time occurred was the one went from like expecting to be expecting to breast pumping that's the yeah. only visual indicator of time passing that we saw and the like little bits that literally said made well yeah the chirons yeah, but no one's yeah. haircut changed <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean no one was in sweaters at one point and then something else i enjoyed the road trip to miami i enjoyed the road trip to vegas those were good fun i felt that we kind of locked uh which he would have done anyway because he wasn't a personal person but we kind of locked um a batman into a bat cave for the majority of a movie <laughs> and he just came out when you know Al- alfred told him it was dinner time and wrote a number on the board um i do feel that in the bit of here's what a narrative should feel like it missed something in the ending and doesn't quite stick the landing that being said it's inc- it's incredibly creative it's well acted it's definitely well written and for that in mind i am going to give it eight and a half giant signs of martin short <laughs> so there is mine there so um what we've got to do is i want to thank uh, first off I want to thank Alex from Main Street Finance for uh, dropping by with an episode that required and benefited from a whole lot of knowledge. I want to thank Georgia for asking all the questions. I just needed to know. (laughs) No, because I think there's a lot of people who are going to be like, I didn't get this. And I do feel that, I mean, Dwayne, Dwayne's from the UK. Yeah, and so obviously, I think my 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 argument may have some merit about the idea of accessibility from 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 this side of the Mm -hmm. pond. Um, but it was a, we, we benefited from Alex's knowledge about uh, everything financial that we asked, and we also benefited from his knowledge and, and his and his analysis of the film itself. So, as always, Alex, uh, glad to have you back anytime. Yep. Oh, look, yeah. same here. Look, especially now I'm in flight school. I don't know if y'all have done Sully yet. Oh, we haven't. Uh, we haven't done Sully. No, we also haven't done Flight, which Liam and I both rate tremendously. If you've ever seen the Denzel Washington film, Flight. Oh, I have. Fun fact: that upside down bit actually happened. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So there we go. So there's some definite. So now that we know, we we can cut. We can come at you with with pilot related stuff or money related stuff or even. Hey, I'm short a couple of people this week. What are you doing oh, related stuff? I, look, I will put in a day off to come here. And oh wow, that uh, is insane. I have fun. That's what I did today. Look, just Bless give you. me like a couple weeks notice. Look, they think I'm at a doctor's appointment. All right. Look, <laughs> well, the, good, the good news is you're not literally broadcasting that. <laughs> well, no. Well, I was I asked for the day off and they were like, oh, well, can you do a night flight? It's like, yeah, yeah I could do a night. Ah, so okay. I'm flying tonight. So they just kind of yeah, rescheduled. Yeah. They it. Just but rescheduled look, stuff. 
more than happy to come back. I just have one suggestion. If I if I can request a sound effect, just a captain's kind of dun dun. Oh, we, <laughs> we can get you one of those because we actually have one of those for the, for, for, uh, for, uh, for yeah. uh, cleared for takeoff. We should actually get you, you to do the voiceover for it. <laughs> I'll throw it your way. We'll see what we can do. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. That's speaking. exactly yeah. what the cleared for takeoff does. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, I even put a little bit of distortion on it so it sounds like a crappy captain's explanation on the thing there. <laughs> So well, that, you need an uh in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is your captain speaking. So we also want to thank our Patreon backers who help keep the lights on here at the Studio of Awesomeness. I'm talking about Reverend Bruce, Juline, Hermes, Dwayne Smith, Katie McRae, Ian Davies, Lena Oberholzer, Chris Peterson, Randall Silva, the Yeetmeister, Nate the Great, Cheesy with a Fish on a Bike, Andy Dixon, and Holly Callan and Richard. Yay! Hey. You can tell I don't, I don't add at the bottom of the sheet as okay. much as I do top and all that's left to do now is talk about what we're doing next week so i'm going to cue george's pick we haven't given the patron score that's what oh I my word the patron score oh, no. i'm terribly what? sorry i did not know i thought you were saying cue me for the no, video no, 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 i was going patreon no score. patreon score okay what did the patreons give it i saw so i can't really yeah, be surprised okay. i'll remind everybody that our scores were who's the voice of the people is it me and ethan at eight and a half is it going to be uh alex with eight or georgia at six uh, so it's closest to Alex at eight. We get a seven point seven five. I will say that I am still inviting Dwayne on to give his number. Yeah, so it so might, it might it go might down well, to yours. That could it could me. shift to you. We don't know. Uh, that well, was with a score of a six, a seven, an eight, and a ten. Because if someone watched it and put the put the effort into it, I do want to reward that. Yeah, absolutely. and you don't have to be here and give a good score to justify that. No. So there is that. But currently sits at seven point seven five. We'll let you know where the final score sits at the start of next week. Speaking of next week. We are um, super, super pumped to be welcoming back to the podcast BFF of the BFE Hermes. Always a good time when Hermes is on. And Hermes says his excitement is dialed all the way up to 11. And I went, hang on, hang on. We've already done that film. But we had a taster of it today. Christian Bale decided to show us a couple of drumming skills. (gasps) Next week, I knew Ethan would do this. We're yeah. doing we're doing Whiplash. Yes, this is one of the ones that's been in my chamber since I got to be regular. Is oh, right? I'm so happy! Oh, I'm so happy! <laughs> so it's got it's yeah, Whiplash. So it's got Miles Teller who played uh, Rooster in Top Gun Maverick, right? Goose's yep. kid, yeah? yeah. And it's got J.K. Simmons who has he's Juno's dad. He plays J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, J. Jonah Jameson. Him, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he's in it. So there were two main characters in that film. What's it about? Directed by Damien Chazelle, who did La La Land. It's about it's about it's about a jazz aspiring jazz drummer and his coach. Oh, yeah, okay. so good. I so, I, so, I, so I've never seen this. So I'm looking forward to my mm. first watch. I could teach this if I wanted to. So I'm curious to okay. give it a watch mm. and see what, what what the reaction is. So that's what we're doing next week. We're doing Whiplash. Yes. There we go. So I mean, as always, um, go ahead say your name in the walk down, please, Alex. After Ethan, before Georgia, <laughs> that would be great. And you've got the last flippity flip flop. That's all on you. You got to be Liam this week. You got to get that last flippity flip flop as the echo. So let's I'll do my best. Let's let's go ahead and let's land this sucker, as the pilot might say. There we go. Ding. Our seatbelts are all on. Here comes the final part. Are our tray tables folded into the upright position? Someone should have already cleared that. Like, yeah. <laughs> no one's got any Bluetooth headphones on. We're good. Because that stuff messes with the I'm still playing on my DS. There we are. 
So please join us next week when we're joined by BFF at the BFE Hermes to talk about the Damien Chazelle masterpiece to some yeah. in Whiplash for best film ever. Uh, I've been Alex. And I've been Georgia. And I don't know, this week we learned a lot about money. We heard some thoughts about poetry, but this pod is like ice cream. And most people fucking love ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) We'll catch you on the flippity flap. The flippity flip flop.